Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. I am Matthew Robinson and I am being joined this week on round two, turn three. I'm being joined by Alfred, the rules lawyer. Welcome, Alfred. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can't believe we made another turn around the sun. I'm so honored to be back. Tur- table, sun, whatever you like. <laughs> Uh, it's not just Alfred this week. What, there's a pattern forming here of multiple game group members joining. This week we are also joined by Tom, the game master. The yeah, game. and very fitting to use this title this week. <laughs> yeah. Is it? I, I think so. We got some specific questions. Oh, no. um, we got some specific answers. Got some specific top ten that requires a mind like like Tom Donnelly. The theme of this I am always happy to be here, but I'm especially happy when I'm here with Alfred. Tom oh. is mainly here because I'm dumb on this topic. And I and, and he, Tom and Alfred are our two experts on this specific topic. Oh. The round theme this time around the table is top 10s. We've been doing top 10s every week and we will continue for the rest of this round. This week's top 10 is an exciting one, but one that I I, I call myself the game's enthusiast, but this is my enthusiasm has a uh, only dabbled uh, very limitedly in this sector. These are top 10 role-playing games. Paper and pencil and dice and your mind. Theater of the mind, <laughs> if you will. And specifically top 10 board games, uh, top 10 role-playing games that are not D&D. Oh, see, I like that. I like that better. That's even top 10 games that are not D&D. I don't personally need that distinction. Uh, Oof. Oh, in, like hot, coming hot Cheetos hot fire, hot already. Fire. I my I, my list would be nothing then really because I've I've well I've played two RPGs in my entire life ever I'm sure we'll talk Which about I'm that so but one of I'm them is D and surprised you are a screenwriter it seems like you would be so perfect to build a world it is bizarre so during that time in your life when most people were playing those I lacked friends that's that's usually the opposite usually people lack friends therefore they they find a ba- an ill fitting my crew my dream in seventh grade all i wanted mm-hmm. was to find a D group and there was one at my school and they invited me to one group night and they never invited me back wow well let's that, we're also uh, going to be dealing with that some, was rough some that was rough. we're going to be dealing with some trauma today as well as yes, role-playing games. We will. <laughs> unearthing this kind of feeling in addition to our top 10 we're uh, of course going to do our regular uh schedule of the news and games on the brain and our eight by challenge but our game review this week is a very exciting game yeah. um a game called tricarion legends of illusion the oldest game i think we've reviewed so far as it came out three years ago i think we've mainly stuck to games released in the last year or two um, but I'm going to just say right now, this is my favorite new to me game of the year. I, I was astounded by it. It was brutal, but what a fun game. I cannot wait to talk about it. Uh, we're going to get deep into it. We've all played it uh, twice now, which is not a lot for review, but, but it is enough for review. And considering how heavy it is. Because right? how much investment we all had to put into learning <laughs> and uh, being competent at this game. Um, before we begin, I, I, I got a very nice note from Sean Halian. I'm probably saying it wrong again. I had a whole week to learn it. Uh, sorry, Sean. Uh, but Sean was one of our contest winners last week. Thank you uh, to everybody who submitted and all of our contest winners sent very nice uh, messages to me. And I got to call all of their uh, FLGSs and speak to very friendly people there and PayPal them money. And uh, it, was, it was smiles on all sides. Uh, but Sean wrote a nice message on Facebook that I just wanted to read to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean's uh, entry was, uh, 
was about his struggles with addiction and how it related to board games and his group and his life. Uh, thank you to everyone involved at Game Brain for this awesome gift. Gift I was hyped to have one. I don't want to bring the mood down or anything, but I do just want to say that to anyone struggling with drugs or alcohol, there are resources out there to get help if you want it. I promise it gets better and you don't have to live that way anymore if you don't want to. It was the best decision I ever made and there are outlets for others to get help and potentially save their lives. Talk to someone if you're struggling, please. You can even feel free to DM me if you want. I'll be happy to listen. Reach out and get help though. You're worth it. Thanks again for the awesome shout out and everyone have a great day. I just appreciated Sean's message and I felt it was worth sharing on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, also, Sean is on our Facebook group. If you do want to DM him and take uh, take him up on that offer, you are welcome to join our group. Everyone will be allowed in, although Facebook forces you to click a add me button and then one of the eight mods, which are all of the hosts of this podcast, uh, someone usually within a couple minutes will probably hit that <laughs> button because there's enough of us. Yeah. One of us is going to be on Facebook at that time. Um, so anyway, thank you, Sean, and the other two winners as well. Uh, let's talk about this week's game night. We had a special game week because this only happens three times a year and it was strategic on and it was the first as a game group it was the first as as game brain strategic on is yeah. the uh the main board game convention in the southern california area especially los angeles it happens three times a year we always go for the most part uh and this was the first one that has happened since our podcast arrived sadly the game master was not available. Yeah, we were missing. I was busy drowning children. Well, I think that, that definitely <laughs> deserves an explanation. I was, uh, I am a, a, an assistant scoutmaster. I was a uh, cub master for five years, and I've been an assistant scoutmaster for five more. Basically, uh, this is my time with my son as he's growing up, how I can look myself in the mirror and say, I'm doing character education. I'm doing everything I should do to be there in my, in my son's life. And I also really love it. I, I, I you know, the Boy Scouts has, has gotten a bad rap in, in some ways, but uh, when it works, it works so, so well. Uh, we went kayaking down a wild part of the Colorado River called Topak Gorge. And, uh, Say it again? Topak Gorge. T-O-P-O-C-K. Sounds, yeah. Gorge. Sounds, like, sounds like, like you're losing audio while you're saying Hot that. Hot Topic. Like, like sounds like you're cutting out. <laughs> topic. Uh, yeah, so a wild part of the Colorado, they call it the mini Grand Canyon that oh. you're kayaking through. Uh, very, very remote, very beautiful. Uh, and uh, we ran in, let's just say we ran into some troubles. My son's kayak developed a hole in it and sank. <laughs> developed. And sank. Oosh. Oh, so, terrifying. So we had to, uh, we, we, we had to, we had to, we had to be like Boy Scouts. We had to be prepared. We had to keep our heads about us and we had to figure out, a, was, figure out a way to Was a Swiss get... Army knife used or necessary at all? Only one us. kid was evac'd, right? Yes, and, oh, and wasn't, it wasn't even evac. Evac okay. is kind of the wrong word. Uh, it was we got a, uh, a chopper out a, a person in a power boat to to take one scout and one adult to to accompany him uh, to our end point, which was about right. seven miles away. It's kind of a rad. Was, if yeah. you're playing escape plan, that's a yeah. way out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just did he lose escape system? plan or win escape plan? <laughs> I think you lose at that point, right? Or sorry, I think he jessied at that point in escape plan. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Uh, no, just, shots fired just already in the, in just the uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's let's talk about what we're here to talk about Strategicon. Yeah. I, yeah. i'm hugely jealous i wanted to be there this was uh six of our eight members were there jake was not there because jake and uh tom was not there because he was an outdoor guy and we were very doing very indoor things very admirable what you were up to tom yes but yeah you missed out on some amazing games and some wonderful camaraderie as we were not only joined as a game group with our own we actually we made the, some friends at the yeah, con exactly. we played with some new people as we want to do we split up because we had six so we split into four so we were adding people on both sides a friend of the show, David Gillison, came down and joined mm -hmm. up for some games. We played uh, one of the Spiel des Jahres nominees for this year, which 
Um, I bought because it was twenty bucks at the time, and I was I sold a lot of games at the con. I always sell games at the oh, con. Oh, and that was its own story. If we yeah, really so I, I have a into. giant IKEA bag of games sitting beside me, and maybe every thirty minutes, someone would come up to me and go, "Are you Matthew?" And I go, "Yes." And they'd go, "I bought," blah, 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 and we'd just like do some like board game drug deal in the in the, in the basement. But yeah, from an outside perspective, it seemed so much more like a shady Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, I sold a lot of games, uh, but that's what's great because board games. If you know board games well, and you are in the the world of buying and selling and trading board games, shipping is a nightmare mm. on board games. And it makes them not worth buying used usually because the amount you spend on shipping is usually the difference between a used and a new game unless it is very rare and out of print. Mm. Uh, so most people do all of their used game buying, trading, and selling, and shopping at conventions because you're there and you don't have to spend... I mean, literally, we're talking 20 to $30 per game if you're sure. shipping. Sure, And you never know what's going to happen to that box. Exactly, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's a pain to pack it really well and, you know... So anyway, I sold a lot of games that day. But we played uh, Spiel des Jahres nominee for this year, Just One, which was my one game purchase of the con. Uh, dropped 20 bucks on this little filler, and we had a blast it with it. so much fun. It's really fun. <laughs> this non-game was like Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll explain the game in 30 seconds. Uh, there's a card with five words on them. Somebody puts that card in front of them without looking at it, says a number on it, and then everybody else at the table has a dry erase little uh, thing, and they write a word on it. The goal is to make the person say that word, right? So say the word that's on the card. Say the word that's on the card. You have to get them to say that exact word, and you can only use one word clue. So everybody privately writes down a one word clue, and then the person who's guessing closes their eyes, and everybody shows each other. And if anybody has written the same word as you, disqualified. those are disqualified, and you have to erase them or put it face down. So whatever clues are left, the person opens their eyes, and they have to try to say the exact word using only the clues that are left. So it, it's, it, it leads to a lot of laughing and fun because... Not only are you trying to think of how to get this person to say the word, but you're also very much aware of not wanting to write the same word down as everybody else. And you sometimes you'll see a word and you'll be like, I know exactly what Paul is going to say here. And so I can't say that word because it's so clearly that's his thing he's going to do. But Paul's done the same thing. But and Paul's suddenly, doing the same. And then, yeah. everybody, and then everybody's given such obscure clues that like nobody could ever guess it. And nobody wrote down the one obvious clue. Like if it's, you know, like let's say... We had Spielberg was one of the things. Nobody wrote Jaws. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody wrote Schindler's. And nope. in fact, people nobody were writing... Wrote, no, somebody did write Indy. I wrote... I see... I I had learned that nobody takes the obvious route. I wrote Stephen. That, and that was super helpful. Yeah. I, I was the one that was guessing the word at the time, and people had thrown these other red herrings that might have, in yep. context, made sense. But out of context, as you're sitting there unknowing, I was led on a trail of... Yeah, I wasn't going to yeah. no, 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 say it. Dang it. Um, I was led on a, on, a, on, a, on a ruse. A wild goose chase. Wild goose chase. Let's just, yeah, let's keep it. Keep it. Uh, anyways, so then I was totally yeah. When someone wrote Lucas down, I was like director. Yeah, and because that, so, yeah. No, so it's okay. really fun. I highly recommend. This is this is gonna be one of my go to family games. Mm. I mean, this is uh, this is a much better game to pull out. I think for non gamers than something like Avalon or Resistance or Werewolf or you, you, the games that because this plays up to seven people. I think this is a fantastic game to to bring out with five, six, seven people. And the mind who, meld, the actual psychic kind yeah. of feeling around the table, especially as you're kind of starting to lock and get yeah. in step. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's a cooperative game. The goal yeah. of the game, there's really no game. It's, it's just to keep doing this. But you have, if, if you do it, if you get 13 correct, you play, you win. You get perfectly. And if you, so you have a deck of 13 cards. Every time you get one right, you add it to the win pile. If all of them get in the win pile, then you get 13 points. That's a perfect score. If you get one wrong, though, you lose that card plus another so, so that your score goes down, down and down right but it's very simple very lighthearted. it was very surprising though yeah you need to go to a con that was full of so much just like nerd dumb raising the rafters and suddenly this little bright light yeah 
Just so. And shining. it was the perfect thing to play when when you're playing uh, simultaneous games. Off, always one game will end before the other, and it was that perfect little. When you guys gonna be done? Twenty minutes. All right, this is a good twenty minute game. Let's play this mm-hmm. a few rounds or go eat whatever. Yeah. Um, we played Tricarion. We're talking about today. We played. It was my birthday weekend, mm-hmm. so I, I played Twa, my favorite game of all time. We had a wonderful game of that. We played two games of Avalon. <laughs> Two games, and I... Which is your birthday week, and so, I was surprised you weren't, like, because, mixing it. Yeah. Because we got to check boxes. Yeah. We're getting closer to finishing Avalon. But actually, I also wanted to redeem myself after my horrible game last week, or as Trey would remind me, maybe it wasn't my fault. Uh, but it, I, we had good games. I feel like I played well. Uh, I think they were fun. Uh, Trey and some other people played Gaia Project and Escape Plan. I played Escape Plan with you Trey. played Escape Plan. That was tough that game is it's a little fiddly in a way that like kind of dings me a little i think bit. it's a tough teach i think all maybe it's tough teach, but also something tough, about tough like i love vital games generally but just the way the board sets up there's a little bit of fidginess on how you both lay out the board tiles yeah. and also where you move on it and i saw people you know like playing the game properly but kind of extending maybe no i'm sure it was all proper it just from a first time player it just felt it was fiddly. it was ringing your rules lawyer yeah the spidey sense well there are there are eight different things that you might want to do in the game and this thing that you want to do in the game uh requires you to go there are three ways to do that right this other thing in the game requires three different ways to do that and and it's not at all evident which ones are which yeah very true and and it's also it does you know I, I think you had some newer players maybe you were playing with no or? everyone everyone had played before oh, everyone played for before. myself okay. I do, I, and I think everyone did their accomplish their goals. Um, I think Jesse definitely knew what he was doing when he got out first and left everyone else to kind of be high and dry. I know one, at least one of the other players didn't. Oh, you had out. one no no planned escape. Yeah, and that you know I have to say that this is one of those like outside of the game kind of situations. This was a, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he wasn't part of our normal gaming group. He, yeah, he joined in for that game. And when Jesse did that, I had this immediate knee-jerk reaction that is probably inappropriate and maybe has to do more with the metagame, where it's like, oh, no, he's not going to like us oh, because right. he's been screwed by the play. That makes total sense. When you're playing with new players, it can be often mm-hmm. hard to, to eliminate them, right? Yeah, that's, and, and especially a game like game this where you play for a few hours and you're suddenly not going to escape and not getting any points. Yeah. And he... he the gentleman didn't seem to have any gumption about it. He seemed totally fine. Well, if they played before, then they, they, they knew it. First time play, I'd probably be like, you have these. Here's what you need to do to prevent the disaster that is about to befall you. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and thusly, but it, it did, it, it kind of, you know, my little fire alarm went off when sure. that happened. And, and I, that was an uncomfortable feeling, but something to get used to. Cause I yeah. mean, you know, got to wear the, I guess just got to understand that's part of the gameplay. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, seems like he was fine with it all totally um yeah it was a really great strategic con we played i got there at 9 a.m yes that's how early you have to get to strategic con if you want a parking spot and by the way for the first time ever in the history of strategic con it was sold out i got there at 8 45 parking was sold out at 8 45 so i had to go next door to another parking lot and pay twice as much money whatever I don't, I'm not going to get there at 7 in the morning next time. I don't know what they're... Maybe there was construction or something and half was, the parking lot was, was full. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but yeah, by the end of... We, we played from 9 a.m. until almost 1 o'clock at night. Yeah. That's a long day of gaming. And around 12 p.m., I lost my voice because I had been teaching since and, 9 a.m. And, and at midnight, it was your birthday, too. And it was, so. Yeah, but I, I had this weird thing where my throat, like, swolled up, yeah. and I couldn't talk. You got the con. You got the con But it cold. wasn't. It was, ju- it was literally just 
I had not stopped talking since 9 a.m. And as a writer who lives in a cave, you know, seven days out of the week, basically, <laughs> and talks to three people, uh, my voice was like, what are you doing? You're going to, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to shut you off here. Uh, so yeah, uh, a regular game night this week was pretty simple. We played Gaia project, which is I, the more I play it, the more it's sort of the only game I want to play. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with it. Uh, and Tom took the other table and played great Western trail. So we ticked so many boxes this week. Yeah. How was your great Western trail game? Anything interesting? Um, uh, well, it was Jesse's first time playing with the uh, with, with the new Rails to the North. Yep, yep. exactly. Rails to the North expansion. Uh, he did he did quite well on it. I think uh, the one thing is, is I tried to not go too heavy into the Rails of the expansion board. Yeah. For the first half of the game, I didn't put a single uh, substation up there. Right. Uh, and was able which to we, do very well with it. Which we talked about saying that that you couldn't do that necessarily with this expansion. I think I've disproven I've disproven that. Yeah. Now you I think had, at least with three players, there was some openness. Maybe with four players, it would get a little bit more congested. Well, Can, except that it doesn't actually fill up. Right. right. There's our space for everybody well, yeah there should be there definitely should be especially but also just the kind of thing too where you you did an amazing job tom like you did a really good job timing everything just right you were really at the right place at the so right what time what did you what great. did you do if you didn't go there what were you were you just doing cow strategy well i i think it, here's here's what i've come to as a, a yeah as at the end of the game i heard you talk, give them sort of a, a lessons i've learned and i, I wanted to hear them so i was going to ask actually good. to uh, repeat them for me i think that uh we should be much more often for the very first time we deliver to Kansas City, delivering to Kansas City itself, taking the minus eight points, getting the extra six bucks, okay, and going and going forward from there. And what is that six bucks getting you? More cows or more workers? Workers. Okay. I'm buying two workers every time I go. Every time I can go to the worker space and get two workers, that is the priority. So you're and trying to get an engine going so that you're never not taking two people and. And exactly. you know, part of the game is to usually drop off those workers to get those little tokens. Right. I don't believe you ever really did that. Not a single one. I all, that's the other part of the strategy, which is uh, my train is moving around that, that first bend. It is ignoring all of the small little stations and, uh, and going for the bigger scoring. Do you think that strategy works, though, if you're, the, if you're not the only one doing that strategy? Um, yeah, I think, listen, I think getting extra guys is always a really good idea. But there aren't enough for everybody to get to every time. Well, there is. What it does is it speeds up the game. That's the game clock. Right. Right. So well, what it yeah. does is it speeds well, up the game. Going around is the, the game, game clock. Picking them up, actually, I'm not to, not to disagree totally, but sure. picking them up is not the game clock. I mean, it definitely limits the resources that are available. I definitely felt priced out. Sure. Like there were some cowboys early on. You got those cowboys. They were done. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I couldn't go cowboy. I had to try to find a different route. And it, I, to my own detriment, I never really quite found my footing in that game. And it did, it, that lasted with me. Like I, I was feeling like I really didn't, that game never came together for me. Yes. And, and I think, be, but you and Jesse were competing to put the workers that you had down on those uh, station yeah. tiles. And that was just further slowing you guys down. Whereas, uh, I, I listen, I, I've, I've played this game this way with the builders yeah. instead of the, instead of the Cowboys and did pretty, maybe not exactly as well, but, but pretty darn well that way as well. The key is hanging on to those guys that the, the cost of getting rid of them prob probably most of the time is, is greater than the benefit you're getting by picking up those station tiles. I think it's just so exciting just how many viable routes there are in this totally. game and how many oh, work, yeah. work stri I mean, it, it's starting to feel pretty well balanced. Oh, yeah. And by the way, when, when people start 
doing exactly what I said and ignoring those station the station tiles, all of a sudden you become the guy that can zag and you can snap them up pretty easily. You can even do do some of the uh, some of the pull off some of the, the discs that allow you to move your train backwards. Yeah, to, sure. Oh, to that Hoover them up. I feel like if you ever get to that point in the game, you, you've already won. I feel yeah. like once you're moving your train backwards to get things, like it's win more. And don't forget to, as you're going around that corner and dropping off more of your, your discs, you can actually, you can have multiple people going there. So it isn't like, that doesn't get really congested, right? You can, have, you can have multiple tokens on those final uh, bonus points. So yeah. it's a great game though. And uh, I think there is multiple ways to play. Sure. You're a masterclass, Tom, in ways to win that game. So we've well, done well, a, thank you. It, it, listen, it's, it's a wonderful game and there is no one strategy that beats anything. I'm, I just think that there are, are some things that we maybe as a group in the past have done a lot and the game rewards you for doing that a little. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice as full circle as this is like to have that be my reviewed game to play it again before yeah. this episode go. and have it smart. So still bad. love it, right? Oh yeah. It's just hurts, but it, we, those, that's a good one. We added to our eight by eight. I recommend every, I mean, I really think that the expansion is, is the balancing factor here that allows all these different possible routes. I think before you're yeah, a little, you're a little, you're a little stuck with cows. Every time I play it, it moves up my list. Yeah. It, right. You know, that's how I really feel about Gaia. I feel like we played two masterpieces. And did, week. uh, did Gaia break out of its, like, did you guys, the race, the asymmetrical races, did anyone shine? Uh, time? Trey and I were, were fighting the whole game. We were pretty close in the end. He took it by, uh, at least 10 points, I think. But I, I, I felt very competitive the whole game. Trey had a really strong engine, and by the end, he pulled away. He, he might, I, I might be remembering the scores closer than they were, but um, but it was a, I, it was a very enjoyable game, and I felt I played very well, which is usually the only thing I need to to feel good about, even if I don't win. I, I just I felt like I I played really well. Um, I was doing better than I normally. I feel, you know, I, I feel like I'm growing a lot and learning how to play that game better every time. I mean, do you think? I mean, I I always come up with that same thing though. The asymmetry kind of throws me off sometimes, where some people start stronger. Yeah. Um, this felt really balanced. I think uh, when I, I was the last player, so I built the board mm-hmm. and I built it on purpose to have as few clusters of planets as possible and to have try. I tried to have an equal amount of planets on the outskirt of the board because I find that if, if the planets in the outskirt, if they're more on the outskirt, less on the middle, they're obviously less desirable. Mm-hmm. So I tried, I, I was really consciously trying to make, build a really balanced board because when you're placing the board means you're going last means you're choosing the last race. So you better build a board. That's really, you're, you are very incentivized to build a very balanced board because the less balanced it is, the more uh, it's going to screw you yeah. more than anybody else. Cause you're picking last. Um, played so many games this week. What a great game week. It was a, a butt ton of games we played this week. Uh, let's move on to the news. Another light week of, of game news. Why is it so light right now? Well, the answer is because we are uh, a month or so away from Gen Con and everybody is saving all their big reveals for that. And then after Gen Con, we will be a month or two away from Essen and everyone will save their big reveals for that. <laughs> so these are this is the board game doldrums of news during right during this period of time, especially right now, because nobody wants to announce their big things this early. Uh, but the pieces of news we have right now, Uwe Rosenberg, the king of worker placement, the king of farms, the king of caverns, has a new game that he has announced, which is about as light as the mind. What? It is called Second Chance. 
And the entire game is you have a piece of graph paper and you are given polyonomos or polyominoes, polyominoes, uh, which are sort of Tetris pieces. And this is like a roll and write, but everybody has a card and a graph and you must draw that polyomino on your piece of paper. And then another one comes out and another one. And you're only drawing, not seeing what everybody else is doing. And by the last card uh, or when anybody finishes their board and can no longer place in illegal places, they're out. And then when everybody's done, he's invented bingo. Well, sort of you're, you're trying to fill in as leave as many uh not have as many blank spaces as anybody else have the sure. least amount of blank spaces yeah. at the end of the game you get minus points for every blank space left mm-hmm. whoever has the least has one mm-hmm. um and that, that's literally the entire game quite simple uh but it was interesting to see you know a major designer who is known for more complicated games just popping out definitely the lightest game he has ever done uh i believe that will be coming uh let me check i wrote that down that will be coming out uh i think not to lesson so we got a little while um oh no sorry uh oh yeah april maybe well no that's i don't know it's not coming out for a while (laughs) i don't think it's out yet uh next up the designer of wingspan the first game we ever reviewed on this board game podcast elizabeth hargrave has a new game on kickstarter right now with a name that sounds like a song alfred would write it's called tussie mussy (laughs) 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 it it could be a slight in somebody else's hands but i'll take it I, i will run with this this is a ten dollar game and it says the ten dollar game of i cut you choose and it is a game, a card game, an entire game that's in a very small box. It is a part of a uh, game company's uh, series of games they're doing where they are all pocket games, yeah. games that will fit in your pocket that only use cards. Uh, this Alfred, w- are you familiar with the concept of uh, I cut, you choose? I mean, not as a, not as a phrase. Tell so us you what can that give me is, a box Tom. fart if you want. But, you know. uh, okay, so it, this is a conflict resolution uh-huh. thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I, no, it, was, it was just an honest question. I cut, I cut you choose is a uh, is a conflict resolution term, mm-hmm. and it means that when you want to uh, cut a cake into two pieces, uh, the way to do it equitably is to give one person the knife and say, you cut, but then I get to choose which one of the two pieces you've, you've that makes cut. All the sense. It forces people to make the, the fairest. It's nice to see these like, kind of non-game terms in the game world. Uh, the game is by Elizabeth Hargrave, Tussie Mussy. It says, featuring I split, you choose drafting, and based on the Victorian fad that assigned meanings to the flowers that friends and lovers exchanged. If there has ever been a game designed for Alfred Darley, yes, this is his, his I'm, I'm in. game. $10? Come on. One to four players, 20 minutes, ages age and up. You can get it on Kickstarter right now for $10. My love hath sent me a snapdragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I dare, I dare believe I am quite in love. Enraptured, indeed. <laughs> I, sh- I can't say who shall cut or who shall choose. <laughs> I went Austrian with it. I I should <laughs> we should do top 10 mildly offensive yet kind of charming accents we do while playing games. Tom would have to oh, no. uh, be the guest on that one, if not the, the only one choosing. This I is... often just go to Austrian like this. <laughs> It's sort of just my Amadeus impression from watching Amadeus a lot. Now, you guys can tell me. <laughs> what is the ratio of, of pleasurable to annoying the fact that I, that I try to adopt an accent for most, most games we play? Well, it depends. It depends on the game. Uh, when you do your Cockney British accent, which we will often hear when we play Escape Plan as of recently, or... Uh, uh, Chicarium that came out in, or Brass, or any games that take place in sort of industrial London. Yeah, you pull uh, that out. I find that charming, and that never gets old. 
Uh, French. Anytime you do a French one, that gets a little rough. Uh, <laughs> let's just say okay. German can be a little rough sometimes. Uh, it's a a- after you're Austrian, uh, I will yeah. take that. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. And, and further field. When I've heard you do further field, it's definitely a little bit more challenging. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just say that. But but at the same time, it really has to do with just you're creating a space. Let's just say we're never playing Fire in the Lake again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that because I Fair am. Enough. <laughs> that is that is my one and done for sure. Like I won that game uh, against all odds. I think because people basically were were fighting for first, yeah. and I got I pulled. But it Tom out. loves to so LARP, and yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, Whenever exactly. we're playing a game, he's going to LARP whatever side he's on. And those of you out there who want to make the game more of a vivid place, try an accent out for a little while and watch as the daggers fly from other people's <laughs> eyes is because sometimes it can slow down the game slightly, but it does make the space. Tom more is vivid, a LARPer. He so. cannot help it. Yeah. He cannot help well, it. Well, game, games are not just math. They're stories. And, sure. and I want to, I want to accentuate that. I want to, I want to push that. Absolutely. Story first. Uh, a couple new expansions coming out that are just worth mentioning. Endeavor Age of Sail is a game I have not played, but a game that I know people like. It has a Kickstarter coming in mid-June. Uh, Merlin, which was, uh, I would say, top five most disappointing board games of all time. We don't like to throw shade a lot on this podcast, but I went to Essen, and it was number one on my list. Stefan Feld, one of my favorite artists in all of board games, the most beautiful, glorious, complicated-looking board, an exciting Knights of the Round Table theme. We got in a half-hour-long line. We waited for... I mean, we woke up at the crack of dawn at Essen to get this game, and it's a roll-and-move. What? <laughs> we played it, it once. Once. It's, it's Talisman. The- I'm surprised I even brought it home. I, I mean, I sold it within days of coming back from Essen yeah. because it was I, I could have gotten a good price for it at the time. So it was Ameritrash, you're saying? It's like it's just you roll, yeah. you move, and you do what... I mean, it's, I it's, kept my copy in shrink and sold it immediately upon arriving in, in Los Angeles. It. I've never in my life been it. so hyped. And they had not released the rules. You couldn't read. It was just like, all oh. we saw was the board image. And I was like, that's the most beautiful board I've ever seen. And uh, we played it once. Nope. And yeah, anyway, uh, there is an expansion coming up. Uh, who knows? Maybe it'll make it a good game. I probably will never find out, but I know people still like it. And I'm not, look, if you like Roll and Move, I'm not shaming you for that. We never, we never it's just game not for shame here. It's just not, for it's just not, it's just not my style. Yeah. Right. And I, and I wanted something else, especially when you think Stefan Feld, you would never imagine that type of chaos or luck involved in one of his games. And there was, there was just way too much for us. Um, Captain Sonar has a new expansion, another game that will never get played in our group, which we We've had some fun with. We game, had, though. we tried yeah. to like, but it does Look, not work with all the members in our group. Yeah. When, when we have nine players, we can tell Trey, Trey, why don't you sit this one out and we can play that game. That's yeah, the Captain situation. Captain Sonar is a, a real time team based submarine Some, game where a battleship-esque game, right, four or five people per side with a screen between, between you and you are playing a very complicated version of Battleship. One person plays the engineer, one person You're shouting plays the, things to each other. You're one trying person's to, LARPing. You're trying sure. to guess where the other one is. Somebody's got a map. You're firing torpedoes. Did I hit you? No. I mean, it's literally Battleship, but imagine if like it took five people on each side to, to, to operate the Battleship. A lot of yelling, a lot of real time. It's a great game if you've got 10 people and are down for chaos. Eight, right? Eight? Is it eight? Okay, yeah, eight. Right. Yeah. Anyway, they have an expansion coming out, which is a legacy expansion well, that makes sense there it is makes campaign sense. legacy elements things change from game to game you know, and it could be nice if there was like a, a makeup me- mechanism like a where somebody's falling behind a team isn't necessarily functioning as well maybe sure. there's some advantages that they can do in legacy fashion that help catch up well that team I, my guess would be uh, there's a game called silent war it's a war game it's a one-person war game where <laughs> one you are per- where you're not allowed to talk to yourself where you are uh you're you're persecuting the the battle of the north atlantic i believe uh, huh. as sub commanders 
And you start off with, you know, the torpedoes started off horrible and they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And the advantage was all on the side of the, you know, the tor- of the submarine hunters. But if you survive long enough, you get the upgraded stuff and all that sort of stuff. Right, right. It was re- it's a really fun game. It's super, super great. And if they do something like that with this, holy cow, you know, I'm, I, uh, even though I don't know when we'll ever play it, yeah. I, really, I really want that. Did I, you keep your copy? Of Silent War? Yeah, no, of, of uh, Captain Sonar. No. Yeah, me neither. No. I just knew it would never get to the table it again. Didn't. It's You know what I mean? Uh, but for those of, the, those of the people out there that want to experience that kind of general chaos and boisterousness, yeah. it was good for that. We had a great time with it yeah. for oh, a few weeks. I yeah. love it. No, no, no. If, if it wasn't for the fact that, that we need eight people and one of our people we can't, we can't play with, if it wasn't for that, I would, it would totally be in my collection and it would be something I would pull out I, often. I have to admit, it's, it's I not, don't know why we're being so clandestine. Trey does not like this game. Trey does it's not, not, it's not like this. I didn't, a weird I didn't, reason. I didn't, he I did, he did not enjoy it. I didn't oh, care did, for okay. this game very much either. I mean, to be honest, it was one of those games where it, it caused my heart palpitations mm. and I don't necessarily always come to game night to, to kind of have to yell. Mm-hmm. Part of my problem with Avalon, too. Sometimes I have a hard time like modulating my yeah, energy it becomes, to be big. Uh, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. By the way, that, that's Trey's issue with it as well. He, mm. he, he, he feels that it's, it, it creates the wrong kind of tension for him. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, another expansion, a game called Enish, or I-N-I-S. I believe it's supposed to be pronounced Enish, uh, which is a, uh, a dudes on a map board with some very uh, cool Euro uh, elements to it. I've still never played this it's game. It's a very good game. Yeah, people really like it. Um, I've sort of chosen... Uh, different dudes on a map games uh but they have a new the first expansion ever is coming out for it this year i believe uh that's probably gonna be an essence situation um but yeah that's exciting as well if you like that game uh there was a game that came out last year called thanos rising which i believe is sort of a party is it a deduction game of sorts tom i know some people have really enjoyed this game you know what i'm not familiar with this game um it is definitely a party game uh or at least a game for large groups of people it's based obviously on avengers world um i'm gonna tell you right now it is uh, a one to four player so not a huge part not a party game at all one to four players 60 to 90 minutes and it says it is card drafting cooperative dice rolling game uh anyway they are retheming. i know it was quite popular last year it just sort of missed our group i think it might be a little light for our group maybe too few people on but they are they've rebranded it or Star Wars called Dark Side Rising, and and there is a the the last one there was a giant sort of Thanos, uh, you know, Infinity Gauntlet in the middle, and this time there's a big, uh, you know, Darth Vader in the middle. Um, the uh, last bit of news for the week is Greater Than Games, uh, which has uh, made some uh, enjoyable games that I've had in the past, like uh, well. I've, Chicken Caesar, I'd never played, but I, I remember reading the rules and thinking it sounded fun. Uh, oh, no, sorry. That's Nevermore Games. Sorry. Greater Than Games. God, what is Greater Than Games? Gun? I'll look it up. But they anyway, they they bought Cheap-Ass Games, which, made, which makes Tack, which is the board game uh, from the King Killer Chronicles, uh, and a game called Kill Dr. Lucky that I know some people really like. Um, but anyway, Cheap-Ass Games. Greater Than Games has bought Cheap-Ass Games. It's sort of a thing that's happening lately is like medium-sized game companies are buying larger game, smaller game companies. Cheap Ass Games is a one-man game company. Yes, as many of these are. James Ernest is a legend. He is absolutely amazing. Um, He made a bet. He made a bet that if I can put out these games for $5 or less and they're good to great games... Uh, it won't matter what the components look like. Oh, and greater than games is Sentinels of the Multiverse. That's their main thing. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, James Ernest is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He is a tremendously helpful presence in, in game design communities. 
uh, real booster for the industry. Kill, Do- Kill Dr. Lucky basically uses a map that is almost exactly the Clue Mansion map, but instead of, of uh, Mr. Body being already dead and figuring out who he is, you're trying to hunt him down and kill him to be the one to kill him. It's just a fun little game. There's, yeah. there's nothing particularly that to it. There wasn't. There's not a single cheap ass game that I still think is is one of my favorite experiences. But they were all really good. They were all really cheap. And you know, he was sort of the Roger Corman of our sure. our industry. And he had a, he had a book on Kickstarter this year called Cheap Ass Games in Black and White, which was a, a retrospective of all the games they've mm. done. But basically, the retrospective includes all the games because they're games you could play with pretty much any components that you have lying around. Exactly. And and James, whatever you're whatever you're up to, if you're if you're working with these guys or doing something new, we just want to say that we're 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 big fans of you and, and keep up keep up the good work. Awesome. And apologies for not remembering that Greater Than Games is they're the the kings of Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a very fun superhero cooperative game. Um, games on the brain this week. You guys been thinking of any games, Tom? Any, yeah. any games on your brain this week? Well, because this week's theme was uh, RPGs. Yeah, you've been diving back in, huh? Big time. Yeah, big time. And you and I had, had discussed this, mm-hmm. but um, I, I've decided that that we're going to have to start grabbing just a few people, not necessarily our game group, maybe yeah. just one or two people from our game group, but a few people outside to sort of broaden the the field. And to do some one night RPGing and record them and release them as podcasts, right? Exactly. Yeah. So let us know if that sounds interesting to you. We think that'd be really fun. It's very hard to translate the playing of board games to a podcast because board games are a very visual uh, medium. So, but RPGs really are really not. Well. RPGs are not a RPGs visual medium. Are RPGs exactly exist in your mind, and especially the ones experience. that I'm thinking of because there are no miniatures. There's right. no. There's no map. There's very few dice rolls even. So, uh, pretty much. What you hear is what you get to some degree with some with with the games that I'm thinking of. So uh, we, to we're going to. I mean, there is a lot of podcasts out there that do RPG playthroughs, but we're we're going to attempt to do some one night RPG playthroughs, one shot, something you'd listen to in a couple hours, and hopefully decide if it's for you and your group, and also just something that you can enjoy and listen to. Hopefully, it'll sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll do something similar where we break down the game a little bit. We can actually get into some of the way it relates to other games that we've played, yep. other games in the universe, and who knows, you might hear about some of those games tonight when we go through our top ten greatest RPG. RPGs that are not Dungeons and Dragons. I'd hope so. So that's what's on my brain. What about you, Alfred? Yeah, I mean, also, I've been revisiting some of my my somewhat distant history in terms of RPGs. Like, I haven't had an RPG-centered group in a long time, a number of years. So to unearth both the kind of mind towards that, what originally kind of got me into my... Uh, my game brain, let's say, like unlocked that beyond the yeah, kind of that the was your first chess. Life. I mean, no chess and these kind of things like directly taught from from parents was was a big thing for me. Yeah. But then the actual thing that showed me that there was a world outside of that, a world outside of the classics, so to speak, was was these RPGs, and it was a diverse world full of all kinds of mindset, and that kind of had had me going all all around, and and also you know another thing that I do, I, I have in the past at least done a lot of video games, and so what's been mm-hmm. on my brain is is some of the ancillary uh, world around that, mm. and one book in particular that I want to pick up, even though I can't read, which is uh, I don't think that's technically true, is it? <laughs> it's not technically true, but I'm very dyslexic, so it takes <laughs> oh, me a okay. long time. Gotcha. But so that being s- somewhat true, yeah, somewhat true, and so I I tend to steer away from 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 books, but. I've, I've had a lot of theory in my mind as well, especially art theory and, yeah. and, and things. So there's this one book that stood out to me that recently came out called Procedural Storytelling and Game Design hmm. by Tanya X. Short. And it's 
a collection of, of uh, written essays and otherwise by game designers from the video game world making storytelling games. Oh, and sounds I really want to build out my understanding of this because I never could DM. Like, I just don't have the mind mm. to be able to run a game and capture and hold on to facts and, and figures to kind of elucidate the the space for for a bunch of players it just never was my strong yeah. point but i really want to develop those muscles and to be honest to have a consistent game group like i this, would love to see you dm that sounds um, fantastic i, I know, mean right? yeah you're 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 like the you're, rules uh, lawyer is a dm <laughs> well but you're uh, no but you, no no uh no slight in any way you're a a tremendously thoughtful and emotive person and those are like the number one and number two things you need to be a a great dm i mean those are the you you know a lot of great dms are great on the thoughtful side horrible on the emotive side and and there's some that that are the other way around but to to have them both that's that's key that's that's very kind but i do feel like I, i have some weaknesses that i would love to love to address in a way that i could then maybe actually read something and and discover a little bit yeah. of how these especially the video game space is so uh is kind of on rails in ways that maybe dming shares a little bit more with so i'm yeah. i'm very curious about that i want to check out this book and give it a thumb through well i want to rush towards this top 10 because i'm excited to hear things i i got in uh my seventh continent expansion kickstarter was delivered uh this year it's been two years since that kickstarter ended i finally got all the stuff i have more seventh continent stuff that i know what to do with but i really enjoy that game i i, I enjoy it solo um, I think it's a wonder. It, it it really feels like reading a novel. If you don't know what it is, it is a cooperative sort of choose your own adventure story, but with a lot of rules. And the whole game is done on these cards that actually build a physical map. And it, it's really fun and thoughtful and and very heavy and actually quite tense Euro hand management game. I mean, it is, there's zero Ameritrashiness. It's I mean, there's there's luck and not luck, but in the sense of like you're trying to solve a mystery. So it's just got an escape room kind of feel to it. And a lot of those things can be like, Oh, I guess I can see how that's a clue, but you know, they're, they're usually pretty good. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a very hard game. It's sort of like Gloomhaven and like, Oh, you think you're going to roll some dice and have some fun. And then you get your butt handed to you and you realize like, Oh no, I actually have to really try hard here if I want to <laughs> succeed. Um, so yeah, seventh continent's cool. I'm excited to play that. Still obsessed with Gaia project and playing it solo a lot. Finally beat the AI, uh, not an easy AI. If you've ever played the Gaia project solo, uh, autonomous, so you know that um, I at least uh, know what I'm doing a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of Gaia Project cred now because I beat the AI. Um, we're going to update you on our 8x8. We did five this week. That is a record Huge. for us. Uh, that'll never happen outside of Strategic on weeks. Uh, but we checked five boxes two Avalon, two Gaia, and one Great Western Trail. Thank you, Strategic on. We are, I mean, we need to get our Gloomhaven up though. I mean, yep. I know that's a little I'm, bit of so I'm, 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 th- so next week we are going to be doing a bonus episode. Uh, we are not going to be doing our regular one. Every round we're going to do our bonus round. It's usually going to be on a week when I need to not have a game night <laughs> and I have family visiting next week. So there'll be no game night. So instead, Jesse and I, uh, Jesse, uh, and, and one of his friends are going to do a deep dive on Catan. Now I cannot help you with that, but Jesse and his friend, I'm being told are two of the top Catan players in the Los Angeles area they are tournament Catan mm-hmm. players they were tournamenting at strategic they were tournamenting in the last week and uh they are going to do a very intense deep dive on Catan strategy and i'm very interested to hear it because um i'm going to try to not sit there and go um how do you roll the die so that it always lands on a seven because i i can't think of much strategy outside <laughs> but i know i know i'm wrong and i know that's condescending and i'm excited to feel i dumb. mean let's be honest there's there's a lot of people who play this at a high level and there is a lot of of play you're playing the player not necessarily the board and i think that's always yeah. fascinating you know to get your exchange and i happening think i think it'll be a great episode for people because i think there's a lot of people listen to this who play Catan, and um hopefully they're going to teach you how to beat your friends and if you roll a seven you 
move the robber. So that's the worst thing you can do. No, do you, I thought you want to move the. Oh no, you want you don't want to move the robber. Sometimes you don't mind moving the robber, but you, but you, probably, you want to yeah. roll your hard to get resources. Right, that's true. You know, maybe this is the kind of thing where we we learn our lesson, not yeah. to necessarily talk ill of a game that we just don't know. Oh, I, I try not to. I know I like Catan. I've I've, <laughs> I've, I've played a lot of Catan. I I enjoy Catan. I just if if I'm at my house with my game collection. There are games I will play instead of Catan. I don't own Catan because I would never play it instead of XYZ games that I would appreciate totally. more than Catan. But if I go to somebody's house and they have Catan and Monopoly, I'm dying to play Catan. I, I, I am, I'm really excited to hear Jesse's take because I, I feel very similar to yourself. I don't really understand exactly how the game totally. shines. No, I think it'll be so I can't wait. So that's what we'll be doing next week. Uh, let's move on to our review of the week. This mm. week's game really took us by surprise, guys. It really uh, came out of nowhere. So, so I uh, Anachrony is a game that uh, is a worker placement sci-fi theme from Mind Clash Games, the same people who make Tricarion. And I was hemming and hawing over that Kickstarter for a month. It looks so beautiful. I'm always weary. We talked about this. I'm always weary of heavy Euro games with miniatures because I just go, no. Weary, weary, or weary. Uh, wary. Sorry, I'm not weary. I'm you could wary. Be, you could be weary. Of I'm them weary too. of them. I'm wary and weary. I'm wary. I'm wary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, when I see fancy minis, I just go, "What are you compensating for?" It's kind of like seeing a, like like a guy in a Ferrari. You know, <laughs> you just go like, eh, "What's wrong with you that you need that?" Uh, so that's what I guess what minis do for me in Euro games. But I read the rule book and I watched a playthrough and it looked awesome. And the theme is so fun and it actually looks really heavy and cool. And then I was like, what other games do they make while I wait a year to get uh, Anachrony? And so I watched uh, a, a, a playthrough from heavy cardboard of Tricarion and it looked awesome. And then I listened to their podcast about it where they review it and they were gushing. And Edward and most of the people on Heavy Cardboard usually like a lot of the same games I like outside of war games, which they dip into a bit. They pretty much like every Heavy Euro that I like and 18xx and all that. So it made me want to check it out. Then I read the rule book because I always try to do these days before buying a game. And I was looking at it and I'm going, I don't see anything here that's not amazing. Uh, And then I, I brought it up to Tom and Tom said he played it and didn't think it was amazing. And I was like, ah. What am I missing here? But I bought it, and we played it at Strategicon, and it, it, it's a heavy teach. I had to do my homework so I could teach this. The teach took an hour. Yeah. Min, I think it might have taken Even, 90 minutes. Yeah, it was exactly. It, might have taken it was a little minutes. longer. And the game took five and a half hours, including a teach, so four-hour game plus an hour and a half teach. You can't do that outside of a convention, but it was easily the most fun new game I've learned in at least a year or two. Um, why was I so wrong? Yeah, we're going to get into that. So the, the full name of it is Tricarion Legends of Illusion. It is designed by Richard Amon and Victor Peter of Mind Clash Games. The art, which uh, I'm never going to get these names right, but they did such an amazing job because it's genuinely one of the most beautiful games I own. Vilo Farkas and Laszlo Fejes. I apologize profusely for saying your names incorrectly. I'm, I'm guaranteeing I said them wrong. Uh, it has a 4.13 weight out of five on uh, BGG. That is wildly heavy. It says it plays 60 minutes to an hour, uh, 180 <laughs> Who? minutes. What? No, it doesn't. It, this is a minimum three-hour game. Yeah. Uh, 
minimum. They with, lie. It's three without a teach. It plays two to four players. It came out in 2015. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the theme of this game. Tricarion, this is from BGG itself. Tricarion is a competitive Euro-style strategy game set in a fictional world inspired by the late 19th century urban life and culture, spiced with a pinch of supernatural. Players take on the roles of rival stage illusionists, each with their own strengths and characteristics. They are striving for fortune and fame in a competition hosted by a legendary magician looking for a successor worthy of the mighty Tricarion stone, who is fabled, which is fabled to grant supernatural powers to its owners. So there is a, a magician named Dalgrod or Dalgard, and he is retiring. But before he retires, he wants to give his Tricarion stone to the greatest magician in the land. It's very Victorian, very ghastly. Yes. Yeah, so the, 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 the art is definitely steampunk 19th century. I would leave the steampunk out of this. I think they do a good job of making it more about there's a little Jules Vernishy like machinery definitely... on the board. If mm-hmm. you look like there's like a little submarine, that's sort of a 20,000 leagues kind of reference there. Sure. Sure. But there's nothing in the, in, in the theme that no. suggests the theme, a less particularly supernatural. The theme is the movie, yeah. the prestige. If totally. you've ever seen the movie The Prestige or The Illusionist or The Illusionist, it is it is definitely competing magicians in 19th century England, Victorian world. And uh, they do a good job, though, of making it feel like you are doing not just a, a trick you are doing. You are you are out there uh, learning tricks, getting your grimoire yeah. bigger. You are performing you in get theaters. To say grimoire <laughs> and not not be lying. Uh, so let, let me tell you quickly yeah. just the basics of this game. This is a worker placement game. Uh, this is a straight up worker placement game with a fun twist. I think Tom said that it is uh, hidden action selection. Yes, it is. A, it is hidden action selection in the sense that we are going to take our cards. We're going to put them face down. Um, you have a little for, little deck of tiny cards yeah. with that say locations on them. And there's about seven or seven or eight locations on the board that you can go to. You have your magician. You have an assistant. Uh, you you have, have specialists. Correct. You have specialists, and each one of them is going to be able to go to one of these locations. You program it by taking the card that represents that location and putting it face down next to that particular and piece. Everybody does this simultaneously. Nobody sees where anybody mm-hmm. else is going. There, therefore, the hidden action selection. Then everybody flips up at the same time, and we see, oh, no, all four of us are trying to go to the dark alley this turn. And it's not going to work out right. for somebody, but that means that there is... So unlike other worker placement games like a Grickle or things like that, where on your turn you decide where you go, before the round starts, you make all the decisions about where all your workers are going. The only thing that's left to be decided is in what order you will go to those places. So, Which when, is huge. Which is, yeah, but it's a very exciting way to think about it. So it can be a little stressful if you've never played the game before because you have to make your most important decisions with the only information being what you need right. and, and also what you think other people need. I mean, then you can kind of draft on people's strategies sure. and kind of start to get a sense. But then, so let's say you, you flip all your cards up and you go, oh, I'm the only one going to the market. I'll do that last because there's no competition. But, oh boy, everybody's going to downtown. I better go quickly there. Now, what's the point of wanting to go place early? Well, it also adds another interesting element that is not in many worker placement games. I can't think of any, which is action point spending. Mm-hmm. So the three layers here are the hidden ro- hidden locate hidden Roll hidden. What am I saying? What am I? Hidden what? action selection. Hidden action selection. Worker placement and action point allowance. Yeah. So, action point allowance. Uh, 
back in the day was a very popular thing that Kramer and Kiesling did a lot with to call and Mexica and and games like that. Hidden action selection is also a fairly older concept. Mm -hmm. You would see that a lot in things like Alfred, you mentioned robo rally, which is absolutely true. Shogun and and Wallenstein. Wallenstein. Exactly right. Uh, so, so, the, but it's fun to have all these things sort of put together. So, what it's is a action? Brain, it's a brain burner. Yeah. So, action point allowance is all your workers have a different point value on them, right? So, you have your magician; he's worth or she is worth three. Then you have your apprentice; uh, those are all worth one. And then there's specialists. There's three different types; those are all worth two. When you place a worker on the board, you go to a place. And you have that many points to spend at that place. At that place, there will be a handful of different actions you can do there. Each action will cost a different amount of points. So let's say you are going to the market. For one action, you can buy as many types, as many amount of one type of good as you want. And one of the twists is the first person in gets the most, gets extra, right. extra action so points. So the worker, actual worker placement slots on them have numbers with plus symbols next to them. So there's two, one, or zero. And that's how many points are added to the points printed on your worker. And as a credit to the artwork, it's all very clear and, and pointed out. Right. You know, as soon as you go there, it makes an extra circle. You get into this extra bonus. It's very obvious. Yeah. And yet at the same time, everything's so punitive that you're not, never going to do everything you want. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely a, this is the classic worker placement in the sense of like, I, I'm, I'm never going to get everything I want, and I might not even get what I need yeah. <laughs> unless I really do it the right way. Um, so there are uh, the main goal of the game is to learn tricks, prepare tricks, stage tricks, and then perform tricks. And that is the, uh, the loop of the game that you will be doing over and over again. And so at the beginning of the game, everybody is there is this what makes this game uh, tough to learn and tough to teach is that there are wildly complicated decisions you must make before the game begins. Exactly. You must pick a school of magic. You must pick a magician uh, and, and their uh, you know, asymmetrical game-breaking power. You must pick your starting trick. You must pick your starting components. You must pick your starting specialist. You have to basically like roll a D&D character and add all the stats and figure out all this stuff and you have never played the game before and you have no idea what any of this stuff is for. It's definitely one of these games that you're going to be two or three in and you're going to be like, oh. Oh, I blew it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This is a game that you cannot play proficiently until at minimum your second game. Yeah, There's no way. On your first game, you're just trying not to drown. Um, and this is not a complicated game. Everything you do is quite simple and intuitive. And in fact, the theme flows so well through it that it's really intuitive because it's just, okay, I need to learn a magic trick. Okay, and then I need to perform it to get fame, famous points in this. So uh, the better trick I perform, the more fame I get. So you're just going through the steps. You have to learn the trick. Then you have to buy the components to put on the trick. Then you have to pr- uh, practice the trick. You have to stage it, get good at it. Then you perform the trick. So all those things are very intuitive. There's not complicated. It's just you're, you're just always going to be a little deficient and it's right. just going to take a number of turns to even get your engine going and by that time other people are also competing for some of the same resources some of the same spaces some of the same theaters and then spells so here's the yeah. crazy part and the components which we which we realized we didn't even realize that the components were let's call limited. it tricks and not spells yes tricks they're, they're not spells they are illusions or tricks uh magic but, with a c not a k yes there are four <laughs> there are four different schools of magic in this game uh, can we remember them off the top of our head? There is illusion. There is uh, spiritual. Mind reading. There is... Uh, no, mind reading, I think, is There a, is, is escape magic, and there's mechanical magic. Mechanical, I believe yes. those are the four. Um, and so you always start with one. And the, the benefits to having one 
are that anytime you go to learn one, you can always learn one of your school of magic as long as, as long as the action is available to take. Um, because the actions that you can choose from are dice, but the dice are, we all, so at the beginning of the run, you roll a certain amount of dice and those sort of just for the downtown location tell you the things you can get there. It's just for one location. There's just for one location. And it it is manipulatable. You can still spend action points to change. the. This is one of those games where you can gamble if you want, but if you choose not to, you never have to. I saw in that first game that we played at Strategicon, you at one point needed something really badly. You did it on a dice roll and you didn't get it. And I didn't. and, And because of that, I don't think I will ever take that risk again in the game because it was to, to, to not get what I needed on a roll was so destructive to everything I was trying to do that it would have been better if I had just done something else. Totally. Um, even knowing that even if I had gotten it, just that risk, I don't think was worth it, worth the reward. Um, so anyway, there are four schools of magic in the game and you start with one and you're incentivized to stay there to a certain extent, but you're gonna, you have this beautiful menu one of my favorite components in any game is this little book that every player is going to have. And this is also a, this will terrify a new player because I'm every person in the game. If you've ever played food chain magnet, you get a little menu and this, you get a similar kind of little menu, but when you flip through it, it's got every trick in the game, all the different illusions and all the schools of magic and all of them. And all it, the components needed, all the components. I mean, you get this beautiful little book and you can sit there by yourself reading this book for four hours while you're playing the game and trying to plan things out. And you figure out if I buy this trick, then I will have the components also for this trick. But then if I use that trick, I want to jump over to this one, which has a great end game scoring, yada, 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 goes on forever. And then by the time you look up, you realize the trick you've spent the last 30 minutes planning, someone else bought it because there was only one copy of each trick in the game. So if somebody else is doing the, uh, you know, saw your apprentice in half trick, nobody else in town wants to see somebody else do that. So you got to learn a new trick. The way the components work makes it so you don't want to specialize in one school. You just can't really stay in one lane. You have to spread out, especially people will force you to exactly yeah, because they'll jump into your school of magic and buy all the good tricks up. Yeah. I was just going to say that, uh, um, the no, nope, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's illusion. Yeah. <laughs> a magic trick happened there. Um, so Tom played the game. Uh, I think closer to when it came out in 2015, and there there is uh, I won't call it an expansion because it it comes in the game. You don't have to buy it, but it's called the Dark Alley expansion. This often ha- often happens in Kickstarters where they are selling the base game and then they just decide it's much more cost effective to add the expansion into the box and to not create a new SKU when they're selling it in retail. So they just put it on the box, but it's still been called an expansion because it, that's how it was originally uh, advertised. But this is called the Dark Alley expansion. It's just a module that comes in the game and uh, you should never play without it. Yeah. Uh, I played it's, the basic game. The reason I didn't like the game the first time is that I played the the basic game. And what tell it us is the not, differences between the basic and the dark. Oh my God. I can't even begin to describe because first of all, it was four years ago. Right. So I yeah. barely remember. Well, what it was. I'll, I'll tell you the main one. So the first one is there are three different levels of magic normally in the game. There's level ones, level 16s, and level 36s. Those differences are how much you have to have a certain amount of fame. You have to be famous enough to even try to attempt Victory to pull off those. You don't in, play with a level 36 in the base game. You don't play with the level 36s. So it takes out a third of all the tricks in the game and the level 36 tricks all have end game scoring. And the game is one to two rounds shorter, if I remember right. Yep, it is uh, five instead of seven rounds. There you go. Uh, it was very useful to have the Dark Alley it also, extra cards to kind of help you game break in, in appropriate ways. So in the Dark Alley expansion, there is a whole new location called the Dark Alley, 
which is sort of Diagon Alley if you uh, are a Harry Potter reader or watcher. And you go there. A pothead. Yeah. And so at the beginning of the game, you start out your, your, your deck of locations you can go to when you secretly put them down is limited to six. So two in the theater and one in every other location. So you are limited in a round to only going to each of those places once. Well, what if you want to go to downtown twice? What if you want to go to downtown three times? What if you want to go to the dark market twice? The dark market allows you to buy more copies of those locations, but they're not just normal copies. They're better copies. They're, now when you go there, you get an awesome power. And they're, one time, one time. Price. Right. So that's the trade-off though. You, it's a one-time use, but they are usually so much stronger than the regular action there that there's no reason not to take it. But also, even if you don't care about the action, being able to go to a location more than once is wildly powerful. And also just, there's a lot of scarcity of the number of, of uh, workers you're going to have in this game. You can expand it, but it only goes so, so much. So you need some extra flavor to help this game move along. I can't even imagine how punitive this game would be if you added on that element of just being later into a location. And the last new element in the expansion is prophecies, which are these very fun round rule breaking changes. So every round, mostly positive, almost, yeah, almost always positive, but every round, something in the game is going to change for everyone. So you see this little, uh, there's a a little triptych of circles and each round they're going to cycle forward and one is going to go into the active slot and that will be a game break. So often like now everybody's a, and now everybody's apprentices are worth two action points instead of one. So, it, but you could really there's a, an action you can take at the dark alley to spin it so that it doesn't the, the next one does not become active, which can be very if you realize like oh this is going to be super strong for two people and not strong for me, I don't want them to have that advantage. Or the next one will be really strong for me, and so it's, it plays a fun game of of trying to game the prophecies so that the ones that are helpful to you come up and not vice versa. And I could feel like the theme is always thrown throughout the entire, entire board, including this expansion. It feels very much like it needs to be a built in. It just, it feels like it imbues the space with that much more character. I think that, uh, what happened here is, is something that's totally understandable. They've made this huge, complex clockwork of a game this is heavy takes this an is hour. this is i think splatter level heavy it takes an hour yeah it takes an hour to explain it takes four hours to play and they want to put it on kickstarter yeah and they're like and it's oh, their first game oh, ever no <laughs> what are we going to do all right let's pull this out let's pull that out let's pull that out let's let's throw everything overboard yeah. that isn't absolutely necessary to make it a two and a half a game where we can hold our heads up and say this plays in 180 minutes and and put that out there yeah but really but just between us, the game, you have to pull all these other but things see, back into the But here's the, the problem, the though, is I think that's a giant mistake because... It is. It is definitely a mistake because your core audience, like Tom, will play that basic version and go, well, this isn't a good game. And the people who don't want a complicated game are going to play that and go, well, this is too complicated. So it, it's, it's making nobody happy in that version. But my frustration playing it the first time was exactly what was left out. I felt like... I feel like, oh my God, I was almost about to start liking this game. It, I felt like I was building to something and then there was nothing there. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's like because an literally there itself. <laughs> I um, think they would have been better off just making a introductory two round sort of uh, scenario. Right, I th- so, it's, so, okay. a lot, it's a lot of teach, though, for for a little, a little like yeah. I think the truth is, this is a super heavy game, and unless you are into super heavy games, and 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 this is not a game that you want to play once a year. Because this this is a game that will take a whole game 
to get your head back I, into it. I will it. say just in, in, in its benefit, there is some catch-up mechanisms that are nicely elegant. They're not huge, but there are little yep. things to make in it. turn spin. order, you can buy some points every round. Turn order, buy some points. Some things make some sense. If you're in the lead, you can buy points cheaper. If, yep. you're, in, if you're drafting, if you're in the back, mm-hmm. you, it points are, are more. The less points you have is turn order. So whoever's yeah, so. behind in points goes first, and going first is huge in this it's game. It's the biggest part of this game. So playing, for sec- playing in second or third to take first is probably very viable after enough plays yeah. where you really know what you're doing. So let's briefly talk about what I think is the most interesting part of this game, which is, which is performing. Yeah. So there is a bunch of different sections in this game that work just like classic worker placement, go there, take something. Then there is the performance section and the board is beautifully designed so that it is the centerpiece of it. It, it takes up a whole corner. It looks like all other actions feed towards it, which they do. Just if you look at it, the graphic design is really nicely done in that. It's very clear that this is the focal point. Everything else is uh, supposed to get you there. So when you go to the theater, you must make a choice. There are four days on the theater. There is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There are three slots on each one, one for a magician and two for other workers. Whenever you put somebody in any one of those slots, you are claiming that day for the week. No one else can go to any other. No one else can go to your day and you can't go to anyone else's day. The difference in the days are that's going to break turn order and decide in what order performances happen. So that's the order that tricks are going to be performed. And then there's these cards that are theater cards. And on the theater cards is when you're actually planning your, your, uh, your, your, your performances. So think of the theater cards as sort of set lists. And one of the actions you can take into the game is to, if we're going with the set list metaphor, what's where you're going to sing your song in the order of the night, right? And uh, you're going to place your song on the set list and then you're going to fill up that set list card and that's going to be a theater. And then when you perform, you decide which set list is going to happen. And by performing a specific set list, you get more bonuses than anybody else who has their songs on there. So everybody gets to perform that night. So if you have your metaphor continued, if you have your song on that set list, everybody's song gets sung that's there, but the person who performs it gets more points. So yet more workers in, yep. the, in this form of, of, of tricks to mm-hmm. play. So you can imagine how much heavier the game gets as you add a whole other 3D chess. There's a whole mental game of that, of like, well, I need to make sure I go first. So, And also, if you go on Thursday, all your tricks are worth one point and one dollar less for the whole week because you are that is your trade-off of picking first. And until you get powerful spells, those, those points... That's are, it. You're yeah. spe- you could be performing and getting nothing. Uh, and if you go on Sunday, the last day... All of your tricks are worth one extra point and one extra dollar, but you're picking last and you are potentially risking not getting to perform at all because very often the math can work out where by the time it comes around to Sunday, there are no more cards left with your tricks on them. No more theaters left with your tricks on them. And one of the rules is to perform, you can only perform a theater in which you have slotted in a trick. Uh, so that is a whole element that that is the com- most complicated part of the game to and wrap that your is brain the around. Most punitive too, because that is yeah. often the case where there are certain powers, especially asymmetrical powers, where they deal specifically with the theaters and specifically yeah. with spells, and you can really get pushed off. And the trick, I mean, the tokens that your tricks are. So you, all of your tricks are symbolized by these little uh, components, these little uh, chits. And on each corner of the chit is one of the schools of magic, and you get to play this fun spatial game of putting your chits onto these cards so that. The uh, you make uh, completed circles. You completed circles by putting it, it's it, it's something you sort of have to visualize. The podcast is not going to uh, is going <laughs> to fail you here, but if you look at the components, you'll see that you have to sort of make these circles with the edges of the chits in order to complete these things and often get bonuses and shards. Shards are sort of the wild bonus you need, and it helps you get more actions at places. 
Um, but it, there's so many, there's, as you can see, this is a heavy game and there is, but to me, that's the hardest part of the grok is the whole performance thing, but it's also definitely the most fun part of the game to me. It, it is a, it is a wildly heavy game. It is perfect. It, it was a perfect brain burner for us. It obviously, we missed a few elements in our first game In our second game, we got a little bit more up to speed and I just can't wait to play it a third time, which I don't know how many four hour, five hour long games I can say that. About. Well, it, 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 what's interesting, this is not a game that I'm interested in really teaching new people. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a tough teach. Well, it's got a very unique theme. Yeah, the theme is 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 the best part about it in terms of teaching it because people instantly get excited by the theme. Yeah, and and yeah, I, you and I both when we teach games, we try to teach theme first. We yep. try to say this is who you are, this is what you're trying to do, and once you understand that, everything else can sort of follow because people people learn by story better than Absolutely. any other way. So that that really does help. Uh, if there's one negative thing to say, I wonder how the variable player powers will age for us. Yep. I feel like the one that you played with, I feel is the overpowered. So the one I did was all my apprentices are plus one. Only one apprentice. Oh, sorry, once per turn, I can sort of tap my power and add a plus one. Which is huge, though, because the game really makes those extra action points very deficient. There's... Those shards that are extra bonus only work once mm-hmm. per per zone. Yep. You don't get that many of them. The your apprentices are the hard balancing fought. factor of that though is that I'm you know not really uh, incentivized to take anybody any specialist other than the one that will make my guys free because obviously I want to have more of well, those guys. But by the end of all the nine, ten turns, yeah, seven, seven rounds, seven, seven rounds. By the end of that, you're you're pretty much have the full complement. Like. You're, you're getting I towards, I, I yeah. didn't either last game, but you, you kind of, you have the opportunity to slowly build out. And by the end, you're going to be somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. You're, and you're I, I will say I, I won, and I think I won by a, a, a decent margin. Yes. Um, six points. Six points. Okay, not not massive, but but yeah. Uh, and also, I, I had a very bad first round where I just made a mistake. So I, I, one, of my, one of my three actions didn't even happen in the first round. Yeah. So if I had played proficiently, I probably would have won by more. But, well, but by comparison, there are other roles that seem particularly underpowered. And listen, we, there are we've, only, we've only there played are it a few. couple times, so we yeah. don't know yet. And then there are other powers which seem powerful, but they are PvP. They're player versus player. A little they're, bit, they're, yeah. They're a little take that. And when you add all that in together, it, it feels like, you know, for a game that is this heavy and this deep, and has this many interconnecting mechanisms that might be a weak spot that we might have to figure out later. Now, I, I'm, because I played this, I am now 10 times more excited for Anachrony than I was. And I'm very glad that I backed it. And I, I am now sort of a I'm down for anything Mind Clash Games does kind of person. That's how much I like this game and how much I respect the design that went into it and the theme. I, I really, I, th- this, our hobby needs a company that is down to make splatter level heavy games with really out there cool themes. And I will say that this theme totally led the play. Really made me feel like I was, like the worker placement thing can feel kind of arbitrary to me sometimes. I, yeah. I, I like Agricola. I've only played a handful of times, but Caverna being very kind of similar. Yeah. I love this kind of aspect of, you know, you're, you're creating, a, you're creating a, an idea, expectation. Um, you know kind of implicitly what you're going for and you know what, it, what it's adding up yeah. to. This had all that same element. Totally. The fame ga- garnered by performing in a theater, it speaks to me maybe a little too much. And so there is, a, there is a new expansion. I am now bummed out that I missed the expansion for Tracarion, which was on Kickstarter with a new fancy version oh. and everything. But there is a new expansion that should be shipping in the next month or two to people who backed it. And it will go retail eventually, so I will be able to get a copy of it. But it adds a whole new location. Hmm. There is Dahlgaard's Academy, 
which is opening up, which <laughs> is went for the Harry Potter. where you can go bit. and actually upgrade your tricks to have mm. permanent new powers and points and spells. And there's also a new type of specialist who can be leveled up as well. And he and he, the more you use him, the better he gets or she gets. You, there, one nice thing about this game is that all specialists and characters have a male and female version. So you are not forced to... Uh, to some, engender your uh, yeah, some magician. gender parity, but I, I, you know, I think that would that's a nice built-in for most of these games where they can kind of have the theme be as inclusive as possible. Yeah, absolutely. There's probably ways that this is deficient, no matter what. But I think that's worth worth fighting. But for I'm really excited for the Kickstarter expansion. Uh, and, and there is a, uh, there is going to be a deluxe version that will be shipping this year that will have that everything in it, everything nice, beautiful. Uh, uh, organizer and everything, which you know is all I really care about in games. Um, <laughs> I'll t- get the game and I'll give you my organizer. So uh, wrapping up, because I, I, I want to give you guys as much time as possible to give me your top 10 RPGs. Tom, just give me your, your overall thoughts on Tracarion. Um, I think it's fantastic. I Listen, I love it when a, a good, a heavy, meaty game that is well-designed comes up with a theme that feels utterly different, that feels unique. And when I'm playing it, I'm not just playing a math game when I'm not just trying to figure out what the best move is, but I'm, but I'm literally telling myself a story of what I am doing. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous game and a lot of fun to play. I, what I'm most impressed by is that this, these two designers who made this game... It's like the first game they ever made. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, I mean, that's unfair. That's this is their first. This is, I mean, a crazy game for a company to launch with. I mean, like to launch with such a wildly heavy game. I want to try Cerebria now, which is their other game they did, which I think is their lightest game they've done. Yes, but they did a game called Cerebria, the inside world, which is basically inside out the board game. Mm. They seem to definitely take like cool movies and try to do the board game version of it. You know, this is the illusionist, the prestige anachrony. I don't, it seems like it. Uh, what, what is the Sean Connery sci-fi movie where he's Zardos? In a, yeah, that seems mm. sort of like Zardos. Wow. Honestly, I think it actually the theme is sort of Zardos with time travel. Um, there's some crazy stuff going on there. Uh, but I, I just they've just jumped to the top of my list alongside you know Splatter and Capstone and uh, a lot of companies that make incredible games. And I'm just sort of down for anything they do. What are your final thoughts, Alfred? Yeah, I will say that I, I really enjoyed this game. I really enjoyed the theme. It is a brain burner. As being someone who is a little bit newer to the hobby of board games as as a shape, as a form, this one hurt in ways that I enjoyed, mm. but it was punitive. Yeah. Like, oh, there no, was no. definitely you can, wrong you can moves. There was some take that. There are definitely places where you're not going to make it, and you have to have the wherewithal to know how to either pivot or not even so much pivot as just much as like find your space, define your space. And I, I think this is a really worthy contender for something that's worth learning, worth spending the time to do. Hopefully it comes out. Hopefully the, the four-hour, five-hour length of time it takes to play doesn't make it so that we never play this in our game night. And that's, yeah. as like someone who, who doesn't own the game myself, doesn't have the chance, I'm, I'm worried that I'm, I'm, we're only going to play it again in six months, nine months. Well, I, think, yeah, I think we shouldn't. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I think this is one of those games that you need to play three, four times a year yeah. in, I, order, in order to keep it in your collection and make it worth the investment. I, and and so I give it I give it like you know whatever the high scores would be on. But my it took side. us our whole game night. Yep. I mean we started at eight and there was for no second there play. was there was a twenty minute teach necessary for Tom because he played it before and he he had watched a video that day. I just sort of needed to just give him a couple explanations of things. So maybe twenty minute teach and we finished at twelve forty five. Yeah. So it took four it took almost you know four and a half hours still. <laughs> now we're you know we're still new to the game so we're we're playing slower than normal. Yeah, I we're think. also fairly slow players. Yeah, we have some AP problems, maybe a little bit, but I, it, it's an acceptable level of AP f- within our group. It might not be for others. Um, that's an acrony. We all give it 
great. It's my it's my and, favorite and new from game the rules, I've played from a, in a while. rules lawyer perspective, if I may. It 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 is so well designed that I don't have to worry too much. Oh. There just isn't that much fidgetiness. The board state is is very clear at all times. Mm. The whole fact that everybody has a booklet, everybody has a list of the the turn order, yeah. and where your powers are happening within that framework. It, it is such a gift, and and kudos to them as game designers to have that all baked into the game. Totally, it's much more pleasurable to have that than the fidgetiness of many other games. Totally. Um, I'm going to give us a dice roll on that one and a box fart for me, uh, just for fun. Uh, I am dying to hear your both top tens. Let's move into our top 10 section of the podcast. These are Alfred and Tom's top 10 RPGs that are not D and D. I'm just going to say it once as I'm going to have to say during all of these, because there's two of you each giving a list of 10 each, even if you each only do two minutes per that's 40 minutes. Just keep that in mind as yeah. we're, as we're going through. I hope we can race through this. I, I do want to set this up. No, slightly. No, I don't Tom. want to race. I want you to do it, do it right. No, we no, have no. time. And if you're, if people are listening, they're going to want to listen. I'm just, I, I know <laughs> when I'm talking about something I love, 20 minutes can feel like yeah, one minute. That's true. Thank you very much. Uh, just as I said at the top of the show, if I may, Tom, um, thank you so much again for being here, for helping, helping move this along. I, I realize that, that Maddie maybe not uh, as much experience, but you, you have experience with games. That's what really... really I do. Talented. I have played... I have, I have DM'd one D&D campaign, and I have played uh, Apocalypse World with you and Tom and a couple other people. Those are my two experiences with pen and paper RPGs. But I just will say, you, you were familiar with the theory of game. You were familiar with the way that the stories are unfolded, and this is just another an, another kind of game state, right? This is right. another another place that our game brains go to. Um, it just happens to have some group storytelling involved, right? Sure, sure. And so for me, my get into games had everything to do with being maybe much like yourself, like a malenfant, a miscreant, not having a not having friends that necessarily played games, not necessarily scratched yeah. my itch. And by chance, when I was in like eighth grade, I had a Call of Cthulhu pin mm. because it Because you love pins. Well, I mean, you know, I think <laughs> at the time I didn't know the problematic nature of H.P. Lovecraft, but I liked the world that he was painting. Uh, you know, not I was a young person, confused. And, sure. uh, and I had gamed enough with some friends, but not really the kind of heavy lifting stuff. And very thankfully, this one person who was in my grade caught notice of the pin, called me out on it, and basically ushered me into a very heavy world of extreme RPG grognars, like the most um, like like built into their chair dudes you've ever seen who were who were basically playing the heaviest versions of these games. So Cthulhu pin saved your life. The Cthulhu pin set my life in motion, <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. Cthulhu pin saved my life. And, that, and, but I mean, it, it really, it that, really did have all the feeling of luck because if if I hadn't have met this person, I would sure. have probably played Tune, the you know the RPG and Steve Jackson, Steve yeah. Jackson, and maybe some Star Wars, you know. Sure. And this we'll get into that in a minute, but like these games that are fairly light, uh, theme driven. And and basically that would have been it, and that whole storytelling part of my life would have come to a close. And these these uh, these gentlemen who I don't want to call them out on their names and everything because I think one of them has passed and everything. But it is this thing of these these incredible collection of individuals. Was it the Arrow Hobbies? Very much, crew? yeah, okay, very much gotcha. the Arrow Hobbies crew. Arrow Hobbies, FLGS, and Santa Monica. Yeah. Shout outs, big shout outs. Yeah, and 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 you know it is incredible how how that kind of stuff can when you group storytell you. you 
you kind of give a lot of your personality, both in the way you play and the way you DM. It says a lot more about you in some ways than, than board gaming ever could because right. you are truly oh, yeah. sharing the inside of it's your more vulnerable psyche. for sure. 100%. Now, before we begin, I just want to just warn both of you. I have a child coming soon. Uh, I have a baby who was born now. If you make these games sound awesome, I'm going to buy them all and my wife's going to leave me. So just, <laughs> just try to temper the awesomeness of the 20 games you're about to hit me with because I'm already on Amazon and I'm already to type books I, in. I, I, Don't make me buy these you're books. Gonna be telling, you're going to be telling bedtime stories to these kids forever. Please. And this could be a way of making that even Don't more Don't make me games. buy more than three or four bestiaries. <laughs> <laughs> I have a game for, for you to play with your kids. Oh, it's no. not on my top 10 list, but we can talk All about right. it. All, All right, let's, right. Let's, let's, let's hit it off. Uh, Alfred, it's your episode. I'm going to jump in. You start us would off you like me to start or would you like you to start? I, I'm, I'm Go the, for it, Tom. You, you have... You, whatever, you, whatever you would like. You are the, you are the guest. I'm the host. No, no. The, let's, you, you, you are also a guest on this podcast and I really am interested in what you have to say. Please. Okay. Um, so RPGs are about 45 years old this year. Uh, 73 oh, is... Amazing. 73 is when Dungeons and Dragons uh, came out, first edition. Holy crap. Uh, and for a lot of that time, they sprang from a single source, D&D, right? It was essentially a war game rule set that he then adapted to tell broader stories. So early role-playing games were heavy on the games, uh, but they were lighter on the role-playing part. And just like what's happened with board games, uh, there's been a revolution in RPG design. Uh, and like what's happened with board games, there's tons of people that play the old games that are largely unaware that these new games even exist. So for me, uh, indie RPGs are amazing, and they're a vast segment, but in general... What, what does indie RPGs mean for people who don't know? Uh, indie role-playing games are... It's short for independent, is what you Yeah, it saying, just means independent. Right? It just means independent. Uh, they tend to be rules light. Uh, they tend to be focused on the storytelling. Uh, generally, people play uh, role-playing games for three main reasons. They play it to play a game and to beat the game. They play it to tell a story. Or they play it to be immersed in a world. Right? Well, what about being a murder hobo? Where does that work? <laughs> murder hobos tend to be game, gamists. Yeah, they're, 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 they're AP. They're trying to get the most. They're, tr- they're trying to win the game. Got it. And it, listen, the earlier systems really fed into that. They were built like games first. And indie games uh, got rid of a lot of, a, a lot of that and made much, much simpler systems that were much more geared toward telling stories. Uh, so my first game actually is my favorite little gem of a game. It's called Fall of Magic. I was by, there when you bought that. By Ross wow. Kalman. Yes, you were. I remember you p- coming back with that from a Gen Con line just, and me going, I, well, that looked pretty. I want, Tom has I just produced that. a beautiful box. I mean, which, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's just, which is unlike most RPGs. It looks like RPG. Alfred and I are Jewish. It looks like the what they keep the Torah in at Temple. <laughs> if there was a pointy stick <laughs> right now. Um, and, and, the, and, and actually, the thing inside and Tom looks is unf- like a Torah. Yeah, Tom is unfurling a... a, a like a, what a, you know, like this is a, a banner, a, a scroll, a, a scroll. It is a scroll. It is a scroll. So here's the deal: uh, Fall of Magic doesn't use twenty <laughs> sided dice. It doesn't use miniatures. It doesn't have a game master or a dungeon master. The rules are just a twelve page pamphlet. It is as simple as you can get. What the game does use is this scroll, scroll. and the scroll is a map. Oh. 
He's and, unfurling the scroll. Yeah, I'm helping him unfurl. The, yeah, I'm just going to unfurl part of it because okay. you're not supposed to unfurl the whole thing. Oh, if you unfurl oh. the whole thing. Right. So when you want to create a character, you are going to choose whether or not you are... Uh, so the, this is kind of a legacy game in some ways. <laughs> I don't think so. Deforming, deforming the map. I'm just saying. Oh, I guess. Are you deforming no, the map? Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. You, you, well, you're not really changing the changing the map, but you're using the map as the main means of storytelling. Everything you see on the map is a story prompt that okay. is going to help define where you go. For instance, you're going to choose which one of these five locations. Am on I this going map to Barley Town? Is that where you're starting? Yeah. No, is that where you're starting? If you're starting in Barleytown, you could be a hero, you could be a midwife, or you could be a swineherd. And that's, I ask myself that question every day. We know you're a midwife, <laughs> right? Uh, you, you don't want to be a swineherder. The game always start. Be. The game always starts the same way. It starts with magic is dying, and the magus is dying with it. It's called the fall of magic. Yeah, and we are playing a party of unlikely heroes who are going to travel to the far off islands where magic was born in the hopes of saving the magus and uh, to rekindle that and, magic. And magic itself. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so we're be, little by little, we're going to be unrolling the map. We're going to have little tokens that we're going to put on that are going to represent. Oh, uh, it's in a little burlap sack. I mean, yeah, those are heavy Ooh, components. Those, those look heavy. Right. And you it, see, now you've just sold a copy to Maddie right now with oh, heavy components. Oh, I just want these coins. That's these are saying. amazing. There's a bird on one side, an egg on the other. So, these are an ornate. So if you think about when I read The Hobbit, the maps. The maps drove me crazy. When yeah. I read Lord of the Rings, the maps. I was, was the like, same oh, way when I was a kid. I, I want to dive into yeah, that. Yeah. All you want. This is a game about the map. <laughs> yeah. This, there is almost no game here. This is collaborative storytelling between, framework between that, four people uh, that are Tom, using... it's $100 on Amazon. What if you're doing that? I'm sorry. They're using a, you're using a map and the little things on the map. There are locations on the map that indicate peril and trouble. And in that case, you'll roll a six-sided die and whichever one that... Rub, rub some of those coins together near the mics people can hear the weight of these things these are incredible i mean they are heavy <laughs> they are heavy they're really good um so basically you're going to move to locations you're going to describe the locations the themes the dangers you're going to act out what what happens uh but pretty much your group is going to be telling a collaborative story about the journey they're going on using the prompts on the map and you're going to be trying to find unexpected synergies and themes and so what, meanings. So I'm failing to see the, how, any level of game here, other than just tell. So like what? There, there is almost not. This is this is a, a this is an interactive storytelling experience, much more than. Can, can a you give game. Can you give me because I'm, I'm as somebody who just understands how board games work. I, I, like, do you? I'm literally just pointing something, and going like, so I look. I see here it says Matilda's farm. What she thinks you need. What right? So. so what, Matilda's farm. So if I go to Matilda's farm, we'll already have been we've we'll already have talked with uh, through okay. these parts of the map until we get to Matilda's farm. Okay. So what she thinks you need. We, for, so the person who goes there has to decide who Matilda is. Okay. Matilda is my cousin. Matilda is the. So it's kind of really heavy on the group storytelling and a little less than the DM. There, of considering there is no exactly. exactly there is no answers. Yeah. Look for a person that is used to old school RPGs. This is going to sound more like a theater improv experience than a game. Okay. Is there that, any that is very useful because of the OP-ness of the DM is one of the reasons why I don't think we, we necessarily play RPGs anymore. There is something that's beautiful about world building, but I will say when you have a mean DM who wants to either be too kind or too cruel, it can always set, feel like the world's out of whack. And it can make it so it feels less like a fair game experience and more like, I don't know, more like you are playing in somebody's 
kind of hellscape sadistic little yeah, like, exactly. nightmare world look what I is like make- it says making camp it looks like i can choose stats here plus wealth plus wealthy plus cunning plus kind are those stats these are uh, these are what you get from that. Okay. Are you gaining wealth? Are you gaining cunning? Are you oh, so are you, there are, is are some are sort of character of... creation? Only in the slightest way. <laughs> it's it's really just you are to to interpret these things on the map in the okay. way that you want to to tell. Like what would happen if you were writing a book and your group of adventurers came to this place and experienced that? You're okay. describing what is the description of making well, somebody camp? who does, does that for a living. Like? This just sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> well, then guess what? You just saved yourself a hundred dollars. I did. Thank you, <laughs> Alfred. What's like your, Alfred, what's your number ten? <laughs> All right, it is one of the more beautiful things I've ever seen. It is it is absolutely lovely, and it's rare to see. You should look up Fall of Magic Scroll Edition on Amazon right now and, and see I, these images. I, I will say that that one of the things that's really nice is this kind of idea of group storytelling in the theater in the round, so to speak. Uh, you know, immersive theater experiences that that's a little less that you won't hear as, about as many games like that. So this is a real novel way yeah, to play. That's cool. It's really cool. The game I'm about to say is my number ten. Is kind of similar in a fashion that you are dealing with a group of people who might be wildly inaccurate. My first uh, my first number ten is the end of the world, which is has been recently reskinned but has additions going all the way back to the 90s when I first played and what it is is that it is a game where you are playing yourself uh, you start uh, by describing yourself to your friends your friends decide if you are strong if you are kind if you are uh, fast if you are dexterous and they basically give you a score and from that score, you have your stats determined, and it is d- described. And then you run around your house grabbing things that are at play, and then you time travel into a fantastic realm that is being described. So, so Fantasy Flight Games has has bought the license to this exactly. and reprinted them in the last few years. They, exactly. they, the books are gorgeous looking. Yeah, it, it is a really fun notion to play yourself in these kind of because that's what kind of everyone's doing anyways. There, no matter how much you were playing, maybe an elf ranger or something, you were still playing, and a, a shard of yourself is in there. That reason that you wanted to do it. So this is just an opportunity to do that. And of course, having your friends determine what your stats are is is mean, but also wonderful. It could lead to an actual stabbing with our group. It's amazing. Well, especially as you're grabbing things around the house. If you are not, I mean, this is the game where I discovered my friend had a gun in his house because he went and <laughs> grabbed a gun, what? and we were like, in real what? life, in real life. Wait, why would you do it in real life? Well, because you need to grab the things you have in the game. In real life, you yes. Have to real life. In real life, you grab and whatever oh, you I was grab. Following that's what you go. With, <laughs> that's what you take into the imaginary world. Yeah. And so, oh, anyways, wow. it, 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 that is was. The, and is that the, is that the same version that that the Fantasy Flight? No, no, has? they've they've reskinned it, and they okay. think they've updated it to be have more modern notions. But at the time, this I mean, obviously, it's again really really novel notion, and you still have a traditional DM. There's still this kind of idea that you were going to be playing a game, but you were playing yourself, and you were playing with things that were around the house in that brief moment, and then suddenly into fantasy. It was very much like, did you ever see D and D the cartoon? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it sure. had that kind of vibe. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're holding a prop, and that's yeah. the prop that you're going to use exactly. for the game. It's brilliant. Exactly. So have you played this, Tom. I have never played this game. I didn't even know this game existed until Alfred uh, told me about it a couple days ago, and now I am completely and utterly fascinated. Sounds awesome, but I want the original. I guess this Fantasy Flight one looks like it'd be more... It's just more story, more meat on it. But is it? do you have to actually have the things in your house? I mean, I, I actually don't know the reskin. I don't know how they've done it now. Right. But I will say that that original edition was full of surprises. Right. Uh, and then also just full of uh, really fun moments where we were basically determined each other. We didn't get that very far in the game. We only played a couple a couple sessions, but it was what really... What phase of your, like, what age range of your oh, life? Oh, we were teenagers, you? and everybody was stronger than they are. Everyone was, was faster the end of than they the are. World. The end of the world. Yeah. My number nine is uh, my oldest old school game on my list. Uh, my absolute favorite. 
Uh, a lot of my games are going to be be newer games, sort of like the indie, sort of like the uh, Euro games uh, for the role playing game. But this one is just a gem. Paranoia. I have you yeah. gave me this one to read once, and it was an awesome read. You know, Tom, this is my number nine as well. Is what? it seriously? Yep, absolutely. Holy cow! What you well, guys have ta- to let's like? Let's talk about it together. So, share a uh, Coke or something. Greg Costigan, uh, Dan Gelber, and uh, Eric Goldberg, who I actually was uh, able to work with mm. when I tried to get this set up as a television series and this the, would be the best netflix show this would, would be insane be unbelievable well, don't, don't spoil it if you're gonna do it <laughs> oh no we got resounding blank stares well, when we pitched it so you know ahead I, of your time i'm definitely gonna do it again paranoia is 1984 meets the marx brothers with mm-hmm. a heavy side of catch 22 wow yeah, uh, that's very apt Characters you had me at hello. The characters play clones who live in Alpha Complex, which is a huge underground bunker city. Uh, sometime after the Great Whoops, when the <laughs> nuclear weapons started going off, and lucky you, you idiocracy. Been, there's like a Douglas yes, Adams idi- vibe a little idiocracy bit here. Is idiocracy idiocracy meets reference. like high tech clones. The world on rails. Yes, uh, and you've been promoted to a troubleshooter. That's what the player characters are. They're troubleshooters. And what is a troubleshooter? Well, Alpha Complex has a lot of trouble, and your job is to shoot it. Uh, and you're shooting it for the benefit of a paranoid, psychotic dictator known as Friend Computer. I can relate to that reality. Just the one thing I will say about this game, I mean, the, the world is very vivid, as has been just described, but it is that game where the very first moment you appear, you get cut, shot and killed mm. for seemingly no reason, and that is, that is the theme of this game. You, you will die. It's called Paranoia. You will die quickly, and it is absolutely hilarious. Do you, do you respawn, or you, you have clones? You, you oh, have six. Oh, duh, you, right. have, you have five more clones of yourself that are, so uh, that are like identical vi- so, to some, you and everyone. Some video game theory here, a little bit. Exactly. The, I will tell you that that the mission is the least interesting part of these games. The missions, the, the I've never read better adventures than this game puts out. They are the funniest things that so you've does ever it, heard. Does it come with with very uh, detailed scenarios, or you can buy modules? a lot? You, yeah. Yeah, there are yeah, a lot of it really was definitely great it was definitely at that period of time when modules were a plenty, and I probably the way these game companies made their their draws right. Sure. They, so they for people been, who don't know, just because I was brand new to RPGs, this is, so what you're usually buying is a system, yeah. right? And it's going to be the, the system will always involve how to create a character, the basics of the world, and, and how to actually interact in that world. But then. You're on your own to come up with a story, except a lot of these people, a lot of these places will give you a module, which really sort of gives you rails. Exactly. Right? And the old school systems, those rails were really set in stone. Like you really, if you, if you got off if the your character said, I'm not going towards that castle, I want to go left yeah. here, you'd go, no, you got to go to the castle. Yeah, especially like I'm not going towards the obvious danger. <laughs> right. You know, right. some of your characters would have insights or ideas and they would want to have independence and freedom. And these games would really, especially these old school, if you look at like the classic D&D modules, like, you know, you're doing the thing, yeah. whether or not you like you're it. you save the princess. Or, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's nice that, especially those more indie games, they got away from that. And yeah. now Paranoia is that old school game though, where you're kind of, you're being shot and killed if you're not doing the, the mission. And yet at the same time, That's it's not about the mission ever. But right. if we're being honest, this game would probably be higher on both of our rankings if they were able to get rid of a lot of the old school trappings because it doesn't need it. It doesn't need the advanced combat system and the dice Ooh, your, rolling. Yours the way is signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mine is signed. And that's, that's the original edition. That's how, uh, that's how we get it. Oh, I just Dimitri'd all over it and spilled it's, water. 
It is wonderful. So you're, you're there, you're working for this paranoid computer that thinks everybody is out to get it, and you're looking for traitorous mutants and members of treasonous secret societies. Which everyone is. Which everyone is. Is this exactly. British, the people exactly who made right. this, or are they no, Americans? No, okay. they're Americans. It feels like it has a sensibility, though, of the 80s, like Repo Man kind of vibes. Yeah, like it has it, like a Judge Dredd, like Douglas totally, Adams vibe, too, totally. a little bit, though. Yeah. You will, in every mission, Space Quest. In every mission, you will go to a mission briefing. There will be two characters that will be killed at the mission briefing, almost yeah. <laughs> almost guaranteed, because you will walk in and the person giving the mission briefing will be three quarters through the mission briefing, and you have no idea what the mission is, and the first person to raise his hand and say, could you repeat that, is going to get shot, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go to get equipped at research and design, which are mad scientists, most of whom are completely insane, or were assigned this job and have no idea what they're doing, and they're giving you the most deadly equipment in the world, right? And, and you will blow yourself up immediately and you must test it and report back yeah so So, the the game is full of 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 story over system yeah it's one of those examples but the story is so good that you just want it you want it as your number nine that's amazing and it persists even now like this game out game came out years ago you can just break it out play it is it a one night jam I mean, I think it would be best as a one-night Best jam. as a one-night Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't, I, this doesn't sound... If you're if you five lives and you're dying in the first five minutes, it sounds like you're not going to be playing it for months. It is, it is not a campaign game. It, it is not a game for people that fall in love with their character and want, to, okay. want them you to know, survive. And one of the things that, you know, this, these kind of systems invented the whole item box idea, this idea of leveling up and getting new skills, like role-playing games in general, specialize in this idea of some ways to play is that you grow your character. This is not that game. You are not getting your tech tree opened up and like new, learning new skills. You are now just... This, this is a whole new world to me and I've heard of none of these games like, other than what's going to be like. But I'm just... Like if, if I'm an RPG head, is that what you guys call yourselves? If I'm an <laughs> RPG head, am I like... Do I know all these? Are these pretty much like, oh, I know Not these. yet. Everybody, everybody knows Paranoia. Yeah, everybody knows Paranoia. Okay. Pretty but much. The everybody. first two we talked about, I think those aren't on everybody's lists. I think... Okay. You know, I'm just wondering how obscure these are compared. Like, I think we're going to bring these it home. Splatter games are how these many, fantasy how many, fight games. How many people that have played Settlers of Catan have ever heard of Jacarian? Uh, probably five percent. Good. That's about the, okay. the percentage that have heard. We're going to bring this home. Fall of I'm Fall of Magic. Home, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, not, I'm just one. I want to know what, what world we're in here. Yeah. So anything, we're, out, we're out there. Anything more we should talk about paranoia or should I move we on to move, number eight? Yeah. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight is Microscope by Ben Robbins. This is back Wait. on the storytelling side of the, the Indian, title alone Indian RPGs. All right. So I'm very interested in expanding the scope of storytelling in role-playing games. Uh, if I, play, says, I just want to say the cover says a fractal role-playing game of epic histories. It's true. That's exactly what it is. Uh, look, if I played D&D again, I would run a game where all the characters were clerics of the same god fighting for le- the legitimacy of their theological interpretations. I, I want to tell different stories. Uh, microscope, <laughs> now we know what his campaign's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> microscope is a story game that literally expands the scope of storytelling. In Microscope, you don't play a character. You don't... Uh, you, you don't play a game in chronological order. What you do is you tell a huge story spanning decades or even centuries, building the epic, uh, bu- building an epic basically from the outside in. For instance, humanity spreads to the stars and forges a galactic civilization. Uh, fledging nations rise from the ruins of an empire. An ancient line of dragon kings uh, die out as magic fades from the realm. That kind of story. Absolutely huge. There's no game. What there is, uh, there's no GM. I'm sorry. No, not no game. <laughs> I was going to say, no, oh, we're back no here. <laughs> there's, what there is, is there's this col- is not a game. There is collaborative storytelling. Uh, 
And then there's collaborative world building, right? You st- first thing is you build the world at large. We say, okay, we're going to tell the story of humanity spreads to the stars and forges a galactic are we all, You are such a screenwriter, Tom. Are we all collaborating or are we all telling our own We are epics? all collaborating telling okay. the story. We're, we're, we're all making one we're saying, we're saying, okay, this is the premise. This is the tone. This is what we all agree on. And then let's put some pins in it. How does it end? Okay. How does this, this, this epic story This is just like a writer's end? room. It is a little bit. It is a little bit. But once you have the basics down, once you've built the world, the play, uh, basically each person in turn becomes the lens and he chooses where to zoom in, Mm. right? There are three layers. There's the large periods of your chosen history. There's the medium-sized events within that period. And then there are the small scenes within each event. And the group will take turns sketching these events and playing out these scenes, taking various roles of those critical moments where this grand history you're creating do takes you have to, a turn. Do you have to have a campfire and basically tell your epic poem per person? Is that is that the, this is the game of epic poetry? No, I, I, w- <laughs> I would say it's more like, okay, so uh, here is where the, the earth is. We realize that if we do this, if we spread to the stars, we're going to kill our planet. The resources necessary to go out there and do that are so vast that we're going to endanger human life here. And, and what an amazing, tumultuous time it would be because there would, there'll be the haves and the have-nots, right? There'll be, not everyone is going to get to go up there. Let's, let's have that be one of the main periods of our story, and let's deal with that. And let's have one of the characters be the, the, the Secretary General of the United Nations at that time or what whatever. What happens if I roll a 20? <laughs> what do there, I get? I can't wait to tell you about my number eight. Do I get a treasure yeah. chest? Let's, let's 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 go on to your trouble number eight because because I give you an idea of what this what this is about, and if you're more interested, no, you no, can, but you no, know, it's it's great. It's but tell me, like, what is there? How does it end? What like is this a campaign or a one night? Um, it can be a campaign, but uh, it plays it plays fairly well in one session. Outside of taking turns session. telling stories and lensing in, is there is there character creation or no? You don't play you don't play a character. You are you are collaboratively telling a I large. This story. is at the okay. this is the loosest end of the role playing game, right? You are just you are not even it isn't necessarily a game. It it's is organized story. storytelling, yeah, which is beautiful though because the game aspect it's fascinating is to me. I don't even you know these things around, exist. The way you pass it around the group, I'd imagine, would really change the dynamic of where the story is going. You have to the game of telephone is a foot yeah each each person who is the lens who is the in charge of this episode they're the ones who are sort of the director of this part of the story and everyone else is pitching in to to make suggestions and to be characters and like, play out scenes how can you talking AP it, stick the game yeah how can you ap it um well okay well then i'll meet your number eight with so that's my, called that's called microscope microscope my number eight is merp yes middle earth role-playing Woo. Especially the classic uh, late 80s, early it, 90s edition. Is it a licensed game, actually? Or? It was totally licensed at a time when nobody was licensing that stuff. When nobody was like even setting foot in Tolkien's realm. I'm sure it was nobody was really thinking about role-playing games as being this big moneymaker, even though it existed. So Merp is one of the heaviest role-playing games. Why is it heavy? Because there is a chart for everything. Okay. There is... Dice rolls that will determine your life and death. You, it is a very deadly Can game. Can you be like this? Is just straight up Tolkien. This is straight up Tolkien, but with a very deadly. I can aspect. be a Dunedain Ranger. Totally, okay. totally. Uh, I remember playing this game and being like, I want all the cool trappings. I want the magic items. I want these things. But they really make it so that those rings are at the top of the food chain, and nothing else exists. Like you will, oh, you will play this game trying to get rings. for for years and maybe get sting. Okay. You know that kind of level, that kind of vibe. Uh, like are you, you, you are you are you are fighting are you for crumbs dice? in a world. Yeah, all the di- it's a percentile D20? system. D twenty. 
percentile system. I don't know what that means. Uh, D10s. D10s. Two D10s. Two D10s. Got it. Representing two different color D10s. One's the first number. One's the second. Got it. Exactly. And and in that way, is there a name for that? Percentile dice. Percentile dice. Okay, that's what yeah. it's called. Got that's, it. and, and hey, it, I know nothing about this. No, no problem whatsoever. It's it's one of these things where, as much as the dice then determine so much about you know critical successes, critical failures. But the truth of the matter is, is that like a lot of these kind of games, the dice kind of fall aside, even though they deter, they're very deterministic in this way. But still, like you have all the agency to make the decision about what you're right. doing. Can we pop out real quick? Because yeah. I just have a like. What are the different systems? Because I feel like I've heard there's, I know there's D20. That's, that's what Dungeons and Dragons is. That's a D20 nowadays, system, right? Nowadays, these 20. Okay, but then now we have percentile dice. Aren't there also D6 systems there or something? There are so many different systems. Okay. Uh, what are the, it, what are the top it, three? It, just, what are like the biggies? Just, just to, to kind of, just real quick. Yeah. There is games that are like, like Tom has been dealing with less deterministic games. Storytelling. And then more deterministic, almost like basically what Warhammer 40K or these kind of like, battle systems where yeah. you're not even really telling a story and so you you have the squishy space in between and people have filled that gap with everything everything sure. from your you know your basically would be d1000 you could say like just sure. to the to the micro amount of of kind of dice to roll to determine the exact exact moment of everything that's happening to these games that are really squishy and so yeah and let's just say this a whole nother topic for another day but dice conventions and games we could we could get to fisticuffs okay. about about that the the fact that a d20 has the exact same five percent chance of rolling a one as it has of rolling a 20 whereas 3d6 you're going to roll a, an 11 Way more often than you're going to roll a three or an eighteen, okay. and yeah. how that because wasn't we play, we played Apocalypse World. That is that three d six. Is that what that is? What it was two d six. Two d six. Okay, you're always so it creates 2D6. a curve which which makes the rolls more normative, like Catan. Yes, exactly. But you know, and part of these games though too is like the number of dice you're rolling is a different kind of satisfaction level sometimes. Okay, some of these games d twelves feel the best. <laughs> it, it, everybody it, knows that it's there's just something about it feels more powerful about rolling all of your dice. A, a huge yes. number of dice and you know even though deterministically it can be the exact same and it's fun to roll yeah. you're rolling your d4 at the same time as your d20 and two d6s and you know just that think about the psychology a weapon just think about the psychology of the thing where you know sometimes the more the greater you know you're spending this one thing you have once uh fate points experience yeah. points you know like these things are harder fought for harder earned and you know again sometimes when you're playing multiple sessions and you're only accruing these tiny tiny changes in your character right. it can feel more all right I'm sorry, are you I, feeling I, are you feeling better about getting a plus 10 rolling a single 10 20 sided die or rolling or <laughs> the plus 10 becomes 10 d10 that yeah, you're rolling that's what and I'm if you get about. a 10 on any one of those dice it explodes and you get to roll yeah. it a second time and there's all kinds of dice fetishism that happens but that's the thing it's all all on the side of, of usually what is story driven right all right, game. Cool. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull out every once in a while because I'm the casual gamer yeah. today. But I want to hear more about Middle Earth role play. Yeah, tell me about I Bilbo's have, Murder I have Adventures. Never played this. It, it, it is it is not the most elegant system, but it does it does do one of those things of having an actual. Were you heavy, a player or a DM? In this? I was a player. Okay. Uh, is there a DM? The, there is a DM indeed. Okay. I'm also a game. All, Can we say GM game okay. master yep. instead? Sorry. of... Because yep. dun, D- DM, DM is specifically dungeon master. Yeah. Yep. I, I think all the games I'm going to be mentioning all have DMs. Um, what about PM? It's a potty mouth. <laughs> what about that? So, so just just long story short, this game is it has one of the reasons why it's on my list is because it's quite deadly, it's quite heavy, and really in many ways you are basically a surf, you are a cow, uh, a cow herder. You you're never, low, you're low level. You are not Bilbo. Every time you you do make a level, every time you do make a subtle change, you it feels huge. 
Okay. And and that is that is one of the satisfactions of these kind of games. No, that's that, a, I, I, I like role playing video game role playing games like mm-hmm. that where you're just a nobody and just getting plus one strength to lift a to open a door feels like mind changing. Yeah. Yeah. And so this this had all those benefits, even though it was that kind of game where you you know you spoke up once and you get kind of whacked down. Can by you the die? World. A lot. Okay. You will die a lot. And what happens when you die? You come back? Nope. No. This is one of those you games roll where a whole new character. If if that. Uh, my experience you just, is you just don't ever play again. <laughs> it, it, it's just one of those games that's very punitive in a way that feels satisfying, though. Sometimes you just want those kind of worlds that just hit you now, back. A as bit. a player in this game, are you? Do you own the player book, the bestiary? Do you have to own all the different books and study them? And, and so think, you, when you show up, I think it's part of the satisfaction of these kind of games. But is, do you, as a player, like did you own books? I absolutely own the book. I don't think I own the the dungeon master. You don't want to read that, right? Because you don't want all the spoilers, right? As a player, you want to be surprised a little bit Again, by you don't want to see how the, all the gears. Most of the games grind. I'm going to be talking about don't have as much moduling because D and D really owned the module space. I didn't ever play with DMs or GMs who were really interested in modules. They would much. just make it all up. They would make it up, and I, you know, I was lucky to have pl- lucky to people who would invest the time and energy to have all the names of all the NPCs. It is a lot of work to GM. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, listen, and the crunchier the games get, the more you want to have those books so you can look through those charts and see, oh my God, I have to roll a 99 exactly. to get the one ring or to yeah. get this. And, you would and be lucky, fail, again, you'd yeah. be lucky to get a one ring. You would be lucky to get a thing that lit up. You would be like, <laughs> that's exactly. cool though. You'd I be, like that. I like that it's like, no, these, you, they really put, there's a real barrier to entry to actual cool stuff. Exactly. Gentlemen, my number seven, Matt, you're going to be happier because I'm, I'm moving back into a place where I'm going to talk about rolling dice. I own this. It seems very important. And I've never played it, but it's, it's on, I, think I think it's on my shelf right behind you. Number seven, Seventh C. Isn't that perfect? I own this. Isn't that yeah. perfect? It's seven. on my bookshelf. I, did, I didn't actually know where to place it. Uh, John Wick, who designed the game, is a friend of mine. Not that John so, Wick. Not John that Wick. John Wick. Not that John Wick. Uh, no, he's a he's a friend of mine. He is uh, amazing. But uh, pirates. No matter what, D and D pirates. It, it is. Yeah, uh, it's the first um, RPG to earn over a million dollars on Kickstarter when wow. he bought the rights back from the original publishers who basically so just this, stopped publishing. So this is a game from what the nineties, the eighties. Um, it was first released in the nineties, okay. uh, and then and it John had, and re-released it. Re-released it uh, just a few years ago. Obviously, on had a fan base. Yeah, uh, it was one of those games. The reason he bought back the rights and re-released it is that people would always talk about it. John uh, John designed Seventh Sea. He also designed Legend of the Five Rings, two amazingly popular and beloved game systems. Yeah. So what is the system here? So uh, you are playing um, pirates, rogues, noblemen of Thea. Thea is basically the earth of the swashbuckling, uh, swashbuckling era, only everything is slightly different, right? Uh, instead of England, it's called Avalon. Instead of France, it's called Montaigne, and so on and so forth. Yep. Um, Copyright reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's basically in <laughs> it's the world expensive of... expensive to get the rights to It's France. said in the world of Pirates of the Caribbean meets Three Musketeers, okay. uh, really. Uh, and magic is in this world in a very slight way, and it's reserved for the elite alone, which to me is a very interesting thing, a social commentary aspect to the to the world building of the game. Oh, it's for like the rich dudes only. Exactly, exactly, which is, which is really kind of cool. So here are three awesome things about 7th C. Uh, if you want to do something difficult, that's the only time you roll the dice. Mm-hmm. John's very specific about that. There's too much dice rolling in too many games. It's only when you want to do something really difficult, and you're going to roll 1d10, uh, equal to the number of stats you have of an appropriate skill. So say you roll 4d10. You gather the dice into groups, equaling 10. So if I roll a 6, a 4, a 7, and a 10, the 6 and a 4 become 10. 
one success. Ten, one success. The 10 becomes another success. And then the seven doesn't quite make it to a third. So that's, that's what your role is. Uh, and they don't call them successes. They call them ranks. And for each rank you get, the first rank says you succeeded. The second rank says you can add a narrative element onto it. Right. So I didn't just succeed, but I leapt over his head and stole his and stole his per, the purse from his money belt, or I was able to to splash the the dirt in front of his face and, and temporarily blind him. It's designed to have the players um, play a little bit of part in narrating the game, right? Not to just be characters to ask the DM all the time what it, what what what, I, what did I see? How did it do? but to be able to narrate some of your own action. Second thing that's really, really cool about the game is that it urges you to do things with panache and flair, and you get hero points to spend when you need that extra bravado. These are just little poker chips that you have that you can use to do something super excellent and extra cool at a particular time, and it's a risk, and it's a reward system. The, 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 the GM can give you these when you've been particularly, right, you did something that was stylish or interesting or cool that wasn't necessarily for your own benefit, but rather for the benefit of the game, you can get more of these. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I remember uh, a actually lot of, reading this book when I got it. A lot of games have that kind of built-in uh, kind of earned system that when you do something for the group, you do something good, you will get a benefit. And that part of it, that's because, you know, player characters are generally encouraged to play good. If we're going to use D&D terminology, lawful good, chaotic good, just good characters rather than all the evilness, because you can imagine if people are given an open sandbox, they're going to do anything they want, and that right. evilness can really slow down slash ruin a game. Sure, sure. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say about 7C is that uh, advancement. Uh, for good or for bad, Dungeons & Dragons set advancement in virtually every role-playing game, in, mm-hmm. every, in virtually every video game. It's all like gain, progression. gain experience yeah. points and, right. and, and get better. The new get stronger, thing. get new gear. Right. In 7C, you create a story for your character. You seek the hand of the woman that was taken from you years ago. You seek answers to your father's cryptic last words. Something along those lines. And when you come up with a story, you're also going to come up with several possible endings for your story and several starting points. In other words, you're mapping, you're mapping the beginning and the ending of your character's own personal story. And it doesn't have to be the story for the entire arc, but at least the story for this portion of their adventuring life. Right. And... As you move through the story, you're going to be filling in your own little personal story. And when you get to one of those endings, you get a benefit, right? You have cleared your conscience and now you're better at this or you've done this. And basically, that's when experience happens. He's basically tied storytelling into the gaining of experience yeah. points. I remember reading that and thinking that was pretty cool. I like that element. It's a great. It's a this feels great like a nice game. combination, a like nice mix of D and D and all the storytelling stuff you've been talking about. If we if we were to say where is the middle, yeah. this is one of those games yeah. that is that is probably a little closer to the older school method, but is but as feet and ideas. And if listeners firmly, wanted to firmly, play this, what would they need? How many people, and what do they have to buy? Uh, you can play one of these games with as few as three people. I okay. think probably five is is a, a four four to six is an ideal. And what you just need to buy the core book. Yeah, in this case, yeah, it's a system. It's a system you can hang a lot off of, and and honestly, it's one of those things too where it's a wonderful one night kind of jam because if you set your bar so it isn't necessarily the hugest goal, you can have your character kind of get to that place maybe in one session if you're especially if you're. And this one does have a lot of modules you can buy. Tons, tons, tons. This this is a this is works very well as a persistent game as well where you play for a long time. All right, cool. My number seven is GURPS slash Champions. Two systems. 
And this is a shout out. To you have me. a lot of acronyms. Well, I mean, that's and Merps that, and this is. I mean, I'm, it's going to get. Perps. It's going to keep going. <laughs> it's going to keep happening because that's what role playing games apparently love. Yeah, is acronyms. Um, so this is Steve Jackson. Right? This is Steve Jackson. This is the Steve Jackson Empire. These both these systems, champions being like a dinosaur of a game. Both these systems are broken, profoundly broken, and these games appeal to broken players. There are ways to game the system. That you can have a character that's like basically the character creation would be negative points, but could destroy the world. Mm. This is good for the mathletes out there. And I, I give these game shoutouts both because they, they have persistent fun worlds that are really fun to play in sandbox style. But they, they really are for a certain AP, OP player. Are both, these one nights or campaigns? Oh, these are greatest campaigns just in the sense that you have a DM that you know is out to basically outmaneuver you in terms of overpoweredness. Like, like say that. you have a character that is a, especially in champions, you play superheroes and maybe you've made Superman who's only, um, whose only weakness is he dies around kryptonite. But you game the system so that you are Superman. You have all of the powers of Superman. You're invulnerable. You're impregnable. You have all of the tools and gadgets. Yeah. That game master is going to bring out kryptonite every single game right. if they know what they're doing because it's sure. not a friendly game in that way. It is just really fun, rip-roar. So it's a little bit of a you versus the DM. The or system, GM. it's just heavy system game. It's, it's, just, a, it's a point-building character system where you, are, you have a certain number of points to spend and all of these abilities have a variety of costs, but you can get more points by taking disadvantages. So or kryptonite quirks, would be or, yeah, exactly kryptonite would oh, be like a oh, I see, I see. forty point disadvantage. That the more you weaknesses take. you take, the stronger you get. And and there are broken systems partially because there was ways to basically figure out how to make to to navigate the space. What does GURP stand for? Generic Universal, Universal Role Playing system. system. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so so one of the things I will give a, is specifically uh, give uh, GURPS the the kind of better of the two is that it had so many different worlds to play in. They made so rifts was no that was Palladium, but they made so very many uh, uh, incredible spaces to kind of sandbox. Wow, Steve and, Jackson hired great, great, great game designers to develop. Okay, Car Wars was the little game right. we used to play. Here we're going to make a role-playing game called Auto Duel, and here you take it and you go and just make the GURPS version of that, and so on and so forth. There's a million different books, and you'd imagine that if with any these kind of open systems where it's just points, you could eventually determine what things were worth, and like a, a clever DM could kind of create any uh, fantasy space into one of these games. But really, it, it's a lot of heavy lifting for a DM to totally flesh something out. So when you have some of that stuff spelled out for you, it, it made the experience maybe more enjoyable, even though if they were broken in subtle ways, it just appealed to a certain kind of gamer. This was a campaign you did i i've played all especially gurps many 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 campaigns and then champions a bit because it really appealed to that grognar group of really op players i played a bunch of champions in my day it was it sure. was a popular game even if it was a little bit punitive it was it what it did was it was fun it felt like superheroes You're and don't forget the 90s weren't full of superhero films it wasn't as laden as it was with legacy everything in terms of mcu and dc i mean certainly there was their batman movies but it just felt like a different time so to really create your own superheroes felt like something special Mm-hmm. And let's recognize that GURPS is the only game system that was ever seized by the U.S. government. Why is that? They made a game called GURPS uh, Cyberpunk, 
And that GURP, was one of those, yeah. And GURP Cyberpunk was seized by the federal government, by the, the, the Justice Department or something, felt that they were giving away secrets. or I can't remember all the details, but when you buy the GURPS book, I still have that one. It definitely encouraged hackers. It has so a, GURPS exactly, Cyberpunk yes. received notoriety when the Austin headquarters of Steve Jackson Games was raided by the U.S. Secret Service in 1990. The authorities seized the manuscript for the source book, which was under development at the time, asserting that it was a handbook for computer crime. The book was reconstructed and rewritten from older drafts and the manuscript was not returned. The seizure delayed publication for six weeks. So, there <laughs> Wow. Did, Alfred Gosh, did not know that. I did not know that. That's incredible. 90s and I played Cyberpunk for sure. Yeah. Not only did I know that, but that I purposely bought that book because wow. I was like, that's great. That's, that's awesome. That's punk rock. Cool. That's, that's awesome. My number six is a game called Knight's Black Agents by Kenneth Height. And it's based on the gumshoe system by Robin Laws. Cool. Um, my favorite genre is the spy genre. If I had to choose one above all others, it'd be for the spy RPGs genre. or just in general. For, in in general. Oh, really? In general, I'm I'm a spy guy. What's I'm, your favorite spy movie? Uh, you know what? I have to say, I love the Mission Impossible movies. I think they're, they're ab- amazing. As a series, I think they're absolutely. What's your favorite spy book? Incredible. My favorite spy book or author or series? Um, Tinker Tailor Soldier. You're gonna go. You're gonna go Tinker Tailor. I love huh? that movie. I love the yeah, movies. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah, I love. I love old. So you're like Jean Le Carré. I love. Uh, listen, I love old school realistic spy thrillers. I love you know Three Days of the Condor and all that sort of stuff. I love the. You My know, favorite is Spy versus Spy. It's like, what's he gonna? Where, how's he gonna get that bomb? In it? What's he gonna do with that bomb? You know. When people ask me who my favorite superhero was when I was a kid, I said James Bond, and they said he's not a superhero, and I said yeah. you better watch again because he's he's completely a superhero. Right. Um, All right. Night Black Agent. It is on Amazon. It is uh, so finding a good spy RPG has been my white whale. Uh, yeah, top but it's secret. weird that there isn't just a double O seven, UB double O eight or something. Well, there was. Okay, there yeah. was. And matter of fact, it's a great system. James Bond RPG is one of those no. early systems that that did did amazing things. It, it's it's considered uh, one of the predecessors to the games that make more story game elements. In, okay, in there. interesting. Uh, but it didn't. There's not a lot to it, so yeah. it, it it couldn't last. Especially for something where you need machinations every time. The so Bond films do it well. But, this yeah. looks like this might be a vampire spy thriller. It is. It is. It, they laser sharked it, but you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to play with the vampire part if you don't want to. You you oh. you, you don't have. Oh, to. Oh, I want to. <laughs> okay, call me. So below the stop. So here's one of the here's one of the reasons that there that until this there hasn't been a really good one of these systems. All spy movies, all spy genre, all spy books, they're basically investigations, right? That's sure. essentially what they are. You're investigating. So you're going to find out why or find out who or find out what or yeah, recover the mysteries. Right. Mysteries have a hard time in role-playing games because you're invariably going to stall out with the, oh, the characters haven't found the object that they're looking for. Okay, roll perception again, right? Or roll... roll, Just even the act of having to roll for a stat that you know there's something in that room. Oh, I'm rolling perception all of a sudden. I've never rolled perception before. Something's here to notice. What have I missed? Exactly. There's a little... It's hard to have secret information when you... You know, the discoveries have to happen procedurally. Robin Laws has heard your complaint. He invented the gumshoe system. And the gumshoe system basically says this. It says that 
anything, any piece of information, any clue that you need to get, you are automatically going to get in the story. You don't need to roll for it. The game isn't going to stall out while you find it. Uh, What it actually does is you have investigative abilities that build up a point pool. So I've got a point in art history. So when I'm looking at this painting, I'll get some basic information from it. I have to choose when I want to spend these points, though, to try and get a deeper dive and to get some hidden information there. So it's basically a point system that you have to spend. And once you use those points, they're gone for this investigation. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to cover that that very essential problem that most role-playing games have. It seems very board game-ish. I could see that really adapted well to to the cardboard. Yeah, I do think so. I do. I, I, I cool. do think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, w- basically, what Gumshoe says is that investigating scenarios are n- investigative scenarios are not about finding clues; they're about interpreting the clues that you find. Yeah. And that's what the way the adventures and things are built around that. Um, the other thing I love about Knights Black Agents is that be- beyond using that as its system, is that. Uh, you can ch- totally adjust it to whatever tone you want. It's got it's got these little um, visual symbols in the book saying if you want to do this tone, ignore this section or add That's on this cool. section. So you can play less vampires, please turn yeah. down the vampires. Well, you can play the ones where where turn psychological damage is more intense. You can play the realistic. You know, you can play three doors, uh, uh, three days of the condor, mm. or you can play uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. You can do whatever way you want to do. And there's my favorite is Mirror. Uh, Mirror is where you can't trust anybody, including your fellow players. There's a little bit of player versus player in terms of people have Mm -hmm. agendas, people can be turned, your own contacts can be turned, Mm -hmm. and you could be unknowingly working for a false flag operation for for the other side. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Which actually, uh, John Wick, again, did a game called Wilderness of Mirrors, which is a super short spy book Mm -hmm. that that did a great, great job of that. It's also the name of my book of poetry that I'm putting out soon. That's beautiful. Wilderness of Mirrors. I'm surprised it isn't a... uh... No. <laughs> and lastly, I'm going to say that that it is the idea that there are vampires out there, and the vampires have controlled certain sections of the population, and they put it together in this wonderful. Uh, you create the opposition by creating the conspir conspiramid conspiramid. Could I play as Blade? I mean, you already could. Are, I have a murder rave. You've, you've already. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes. If it's a I, very good question. The answer is no. Oh, I want a blood there rave. Are no, there are no. Pl- there are no playable vampires. Vampires can, are monsters alone. Can yes. I? Ha- can I write the blood yes. rave module? We're th- <laughs> According to the game, the way it's designed, <laughs> you're, yeah, vampires you're not are, supposed yeah. to do that. But you can go to a blood rave because okay. that, that's definitely part of it. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> number five, Alfred. Uh, I am going to. Um, now I think this is still number six. Oh, might yeah. be, might be. Uh, but number six uh, for me is just, I'm just going to do it real quick because I've, uh, the aforementioned Call of Cthulhu Ooh, was... Classic. Yeah, yeah I've heard was, so good. Was, was really good. Problematic again, if we, if we choose to ignore all the things that H.P. Lovecraft didn't said. Let's I, I not think, choose to. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he was kind of a scumbag. It. He was a scumbag and, and yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that are problematic about his, his literature. The game itself, though, holds water weight. It, it's, it's incredible. That's not a metaphor. Um, the, uh, it is, it is a, an <laughs> He lost his water weight before his so, boxing So match. I will say, despite so there's a lot of different shades that d- d- differentiate these these kind of games. Does this still exist as an active RPG? Absolutely. You um, can buy I, it, a new copy of it. I would say hugely. Yeah, hugely. This, it, it's a very vivid world 
that a lot of people want to play in because the books only spell out so much. And so as, as a kind of, if the DM is to have a lot of secret information, Call of Cthulhu is perfect. You never meet your, your enemy. You only meet shades or reflections or cultists of. And is this sort of similar to an Arkham Horror world? Am I, yes. am I going mad? Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that I, I feel like really differentiates this game nicely is there's a sanity point idea that as right. you are witnessing horror, not only are you given the opportunity to role play through that kind of that terror, but your character deforms and changes to based on the amount of sanity points you have. What is I'm rolling? Oh, six polyhedrals is what. So we're using d six. D sixes, but I mean, so but again, like a lot of times that those those shades don't really change the game. It's just the different dice pool or the amount of stats. Oh, wait, but no, or polyhedrals are ten sides. Ten sides. Ten yeah, So you're writing d ten. Okay. But it is that kind of thing where that sanity point thing was the shining light of this game. It really gave you the opportunity to play different. To, right. to kind it's not, of it's not just it. your health as a resource. You now have your 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 mental uh, abilities. But it, it, instead of health, where you might not role play mental differently, health. if you get a wound, you right. you may just be acting the same way. Right. This really gave you the opportunity to, to role play differently, yeah. and that that is kind of astounding. Considering a lot of these I games, think my dad's gone crazy. You can, a, you a, lot these, that. a lot of these games don't really give you the opportunity as a player to to kind of create in part with the DM, the story. I mean, you've mentioned a lot of games that do that, but this game does it very elegantly because it gives you some framework to hang There is on. a starter set on Amazon right now. It's only like 20 bucks. seems like you even get some dice. Yeah, yeah it, it was it was one of those early games that began to be story forward, yeah. which was really awesome. I will say that there that the, the, the system re- remains incredibly popular. Uh, you, as you probably guys know, uh, Trey and I design LARPs and uh, Cthulhu Live is a LARP system that is very often used. We play it all the time. Uh, but I'll also say that two of the more modern versions of Call of Cthulhu, which are just sort of adaptations of it, one is called Delta Green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is modern day Cthulhu. That's all it is. It's just it's just what happens when today today you're you're working for the government and and you're trying to find these things. And then the second one is because Call of Cthulhu is an investigation game. Yeah. Uh, the Gumshoe System, which I just mentioned with Knights Black Agents, they have Trail of Cthulhu. Which uses the gumshoe system to get around those issues we were talking about, about what happens if you need to find a clue, but you haven't rolled right. It seems like it'd be perfect for that. Trail of Cthulhu is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Number five. My number five is, I'm going to say Fate Core, but I'm also going to call it Spirit of the Century because that was the first game to use the Fate system. You told me that this was your favorite at one point. Uh, it was. It was. It still is fantastic. Number five. Uh, Spirit of the Century is a game that takes place during the, you know, you're playing heroes of the pulp era, kind of the shadow, the phantom, Indiana Jones. Uh, fate uses fate dice. These are six-sided dice in which two sides are blank. So fate is, I've, just as a noob here, I'm an, always sure, sure. Noob, I'm an always noob up. I've heard of fate. I've seen it. There's weird dice with plus symbols on them. Plus and minus. Plus That's and right. minus symbols. Six-sided okay. die. This is a, a whole system. Correct. Six-sided die where two of, the, two of the sides are pluses, two of the sides are minuses, and two of the sides are blanks. So Got when it. you roll that die, the average you're going to get is zero, right? Got it. Okay. It's plus one, minus one, or zero. The average is going to be zero. Right. Therefore, if my character has four levels in climbing and he is up against a level four mountain that he's trying to climb... He has exactly the same chance of succeeding as he does of failing because okay. of that. Because of that, the the, the, the swings of fate are so. You're, that's less, how many dice less you roll grand. then. If you're level four, you would in mountain. No, no, no. Climbing. It's 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 pluses. It's always it's always you have a plus four. Oh, you start with pluses. I see. Right, right. You have right. a plus four, and the t- difficulty number is four, so you have to get a total of four. Right. 
and you roll, you almost always roll four fate dice for that. Right, right, right. Okay. What it does is it create the odds of rolling plus four on those fate dice are very, very low. The odds mm-hmm. of rolling minus four are exactly the, the, exactly as low, okay. and everything in between is a little more. So, what's the difference between Spirit of the Century and Fate, or is it just a different? Spirit theme? of the Century was the first game to use Fate. Fate is the system overall. Uh, there's a game called Fate Core now, which is basically just sort of GURPS for Fate. It's a generic Fate system that you can then apply to whatever genre you want to do. Um, there's a, a lot of games that use the fate system right now. Uh, it's particularly good at doing, um, at, at doing, uh, adventurous, exciting, cinematic role-playing. Uh, what I particularly like about it though is, uh, aspects. Aspect is one of the key ideas of the game. The idea is, is that you make your character and he's got his abilities and all that sort of stuff. And we know all of that, but more what you're doing is, is you're creating aspects for your character and you're tagging yourself with those. The aspects could be, uh, as simple as, uh, work as a four letter word. That's a, a disadvantage you've given yourself, right? It's a, mm-hmm. a, it's a little thing. Work as a four-letter word, right? Or obsessive-compulsive is a tag. And you write them down. That's on your character sheet. And you put, it, you, know, you, you put it on a little standing thing so that everyone else can see that all the time. A positive thing or a simple descriptive thing would be world-weary detective or failure is not an option. Those are all yeah. tags you can give yourself as aspects. The great thing about tags is, is they can always be tagged by the GM, by yourself, or by the other players. And they can be used in a wide variety of ways. So work as a four-letter word is something, you know, the, the, your, the GM is saying, you know, are you, are you sure you're not going to uh, go in and do that thing? You could be like, yeah, I don't really think I want to do that. And you could say work as a four-letter word. That's why I'm, uh, that's, that's why I'm not going to do that. Um, it's the uppercut. You always yeah. have the uppercut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get, uh, but tagging aspects has a benefit. Right, you get pluses on when actions. You can find a way to use those, utilize right? it properly. Right? And aspects also describe locations, objects, etc. So a gun with the aspect of rusty antique is going to work differently than a, a different one. A the ship that has the aspect of smells like diesel everywhere. Mm. Right. All of a sudden, I'm in a gun battle there, and I'm going to try and and shoot at the 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 shadows henchman. Right. I'm going to tag the aspect. Smells like diesel everywhere to start a fire and to create sure. a much uh, a greater. Is this best as a campaign or a one nighter? Uh, it works great as a campaign. I think. Okay. It, I think it works. Uh, is I there character progression? Like, like I'm level twenty yes. now. Yes, there is. Yes, okay. there is, and it's a fairly standard, fairly simple uh, a, a way of doing that. Uh, uh, but is I would there say gear. That, yeah, yeah. There's gear and all this. As I described, you you have the gun and Everything it has the tag. Of but I mean, are you just? Making it up whole cloth, or no? It's it's a much more standard game. Okay. It's a much more standard game. There's like where a list of weapons. You're and creating you can... a, you're creating a character. You're you're getting weapons. I, I not so much lists of weapons. They 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 don't get into that. Okay. Because the difference between a nine millimeter and a forty five yeah, sure, caliber sure, sure. pistol is negligible in right. in, in this kind of system. Uh, but uh, and the one last thing I want to say about the game is that they use fate points. Fate points are those chips that are being passed around. That when you use them, you can just get that extra burst of awesomeness to do something truly heroic, to truly cinematic. I would like to try something in the fate world as it it, it appeals to me. It's great. It's a nice system. My number five is a, an absolute classic Warhammer fantasy role play. Mm. Uh, Part of the games workshop Warhammer 
kind of world. This was one of their earlier offerings. Actually, it's interesting to think about a battle company that would get into role-playing games. It makes all the sense. They create this very vivid space. Yeah. People are taking their miniatures, painting them in certain ways. Of course, that would want to have their standouts maybe go on forth and become part of a world. Now, that first found uh, purchase, if you can use that word, in Warhammer 40K, the OG edition, where you would actually build um, your armies rather than have like an army list that would have set collections of how the different uh, coalitions of, of forces would come together. You actually had to make each individual model and pay the points <laughs> for each model and what they had on them, uh-huh. which of course was a way to sell more models, but really a, a huge amount of paper just to form a very simple army. Right. And, and it felt very much like a role-playing game, but just you wouldn't ever actually role-play. You would just march them around and fire at each other. Right. But you still had to like go through and really make character creation on, on the entire army like that. And so when it came time later that I think they invested in this Warhammer for, fantasy role-play, and they They've had other They're iterations. They're on the fourth edition of it, by the way. Exactly. Right the edition that is the sweet spot that I want to mention, and, and kind of is a through thread throughout all of it, is that the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay really hits it out of the park for me with the way the world is dark and grimy and deadly. Unlike Merp, which is kind of baked into the system, the, the deadliness of it, it was just everything was really scarce and rare and hard. Uh, the system makes everything hard and, and hard percentage-wise. Fantasy roleplay is just a a kind of an aspect, a way of looking at the world where you will be punished. You start out as like one of the standard professions is rat catcher. Mm-hmm. Like you are a rat catcher <laughs> and you were unlikely to survive to see your progression forth into, you know, like inkeep or what, whatever kind of odd, like it had this amazing uh, character creation, character advancement system where there was basically very set as like a surf in the world. You had very set progression of where you could move to from each profession. It was very outlined, very described. They've, they've since kind of revolutionized the system to make it much more open box, but it was actually very charming as a very set play style. And it would be perfect as a one-nighter where you would play this individual scenario in a very rainy, dark, deadly world and indeed, there was a lot of uh, a lot of people who would deride the system because you would get like hit by something and your ha- your head would just be lopped off. Right. People would roll badly, and suddenly you're just dead in this very decisive fashion. Or you could equally do the same thing to Skaven or whatever else. And it is a very vivid world space. It's an incredibly like you know they've made so many books. I'm just always surprised that there isn't more in the kind of popular space in terms of how movies. much. How often do you get to say blood for the blood god? I mean, a lot. A if lot, you're right? if you're a worshiper of corn, that yeah. is your tagline. That is your <laughs> uppercut. That is your aspect. Yeah, and, yeah. You, and you know there are, there are a lot of novelizations of these. Absolutely, games I'm just always well. surprised that it didn't get to the silver screen more often. It will it seems, give it yeah. give it a couple of years. But but it is that kind of thing where it, it it is just to play a game that you know from the get it is going to be depressing and dark, yep. and that if there is a glimmer of hope at the end of any adventure, it it is so hard fought and earned. It is beautiful that way. I love it. It's it's goth for miniature collectors. It, it, it had, it, yeah. It, it, it and so again, like it, it is the role playing version of that. And so anyone that's familiar with the Games Workshop world, it's just you know a way of of dealing in that. And, and I would recommend highly that people explore that space a little bit because it is a highly entertaining, highly built out space that isn't owed. It is is owed to you know like the Lord of the Lord of the Ringsness, but they find yeah. their own space for it. Sure. Well, it's martial, right? It's, yeah. it's 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 armies, and 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 there's something very cool about that. That's the world a, at war, the world on fire, the world in chaos. There's all these different aspects that you can play through. Yeah, I love that. I love that. My number four is uh, Apocalypse World, which hey. is uh, the only game that Matt has ever played. <laughs> Other than D and D, which puts D&D. you in very rare company because it's not it, it, it's not a clear thing. Well, that you that would said be the thing that you, you, you pitched me a few, and one of them was Mad Max, the RPG, and I said yes. 
to that instantly. which is what it is yeah uh, so vincent baker uh Vincent Baker to me is the the current reigning genius of of uh, role playing game design. I, I think he's uh, everything he does hits hits my personal tuning fork in exactly the right way. Uh, Apocalypse World has spawned a lot of other games that are now called powered by the apocalypse because they use similar mechanics. Uh, and you guys have played it, so you kind of know what it is. You're you're in a Mad Mask esque uh, post apocalyptic world where something went very very wrong. And there's a mystical aspect to that as well. That there is a uh, there's a maelstrom, a psychic maelstrom from the destruction of the world that some characters can tap into. Um, what's interesting about the way he designed the system is that it's much more restrictive than most games. You choose a character playbook instead of making a character, yeah. and that the play- character creation was awesome in it. It was my favorite part. It, it's very interesting because it's only it's it's sort of select one from column A, one from column B, and one from column C to mm-hmm. define your character. And you're, can I just say what the stats are really quick because they're so cool? Please, cool, hard, hot, sharp, and weird. Those are your five character stats. It describes the world very aptly as well, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and the type of characters you could play: you could play a gunlugger, a battle babe, a hard holder who is a leader of one of the few spots of civilization left. A brainer. I played a the angel. Yeah, which is the medic. The healer. Which is yeah. the medic, absolutely. I always, I always play healers in games. I don't know why. Love it. I mean, it says a lot about you. It's it like does. your astrological sign in gaming. Kind of. I, uh, I always want to play the support. Stupid cleric. Yeah, always. Um, Thank goodness. Someone's <laughs> got to do it. Super needed. And uh, you were a brainer, weren't you? I was. And I don't think I totally picked it. I think it was one of those things that was the whole. That was what we needed. That we needed. Yeah, if yeah, I did yeah. it again, I'd like to be a battle babe. It was cool. <laughs> the hard holder was a little bit of a strange aspect. The people who actually have land in an area where mm-hmm. everyone is moving, but that was you're basically a, 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 of the game. You're, you're a mob boss, right? Who our friend Jim was playing as the soft-hearted one, who yeah. was who was just he was just inching toward destruction, toward personal destruction. The way he was, the way but he this, was playing. This, this is a game. I mean, there is a system here. It's. Uh, I mean, someone has to make up a story, but it felt like there were very. It felt the fact more, there's closer yeah. on the on the D and D side more than on the storytelling side. Well. I will say that it is pretty far the other way in in point of fact because one of the things one of the reasons that these games are important to me is uh, the amount of GM prep necessary mm-hmm. for D anD D. You have to come up with you're drawing oh, it's a maps nightmare. It's a and nightmare. you're coming up with stats for all of the villains you're going to you face. You have to have everything ready to go. In this, you do not. In this, you're making a clock, a threat clock, yeah. and that threat clock is. Here is one of the bad things that's coming down the pike, and every time it's not dealt with, I color in yeah, one, cool. one like phase of one phase of that. And you guys saw in the game, you guys were were putting out fires, but there was always another fire coming, and 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 it was so easy for me to create something that was inherently dramatic and had true depth, and that that you guys were able to play and feel like we're just starting to get to the bottom of something here. I could totally see this as being a one-player game, as being, this would be a, a perfect choose-your-own-adventure style. If, if To use that kind of metaphor, sure, yeah. it would be really well adapted to that. You could do that as well. Uh, it, it is a phenomenal system. Uh, I encourage everybody to to try it once. And so see. the only way to really get it at the moment is apocalypse-world.com, which is his own Vincent Baker's... Uh, website for it and you can you can order the 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 book for 33 bucks shipped to you um, or you can do pdfs at drive through rpg which is sort of like the main hub of downloading rpg pdfs that is that is the place to get them yeah cool right my number four is uh for personal reasons i won't say this is a great game but the palladium system 
brought forth uh, a lot of different... It was supposed to be one of these kind of catch-all, you can do anything. It did it very poorly. What was it called? Can I guess? Palladium was the game system. And of that game system, there was a lot of different versions. There was this game called Ninjas and Super Spies, for instance, where you would have ninjutsu meets cybernetics. Yep, meets, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. But, so there was a lot of things to the story, but really poorly executed game in many ways because missiles do 3d6 of damage and a gun does a d6. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Okay. But they did put forth two different expansions or two different modules, two different worldviews that I found so rich and evocative as a kid. I can't not put it on my list. I can't put it, I can't put it any lower on my list. It just oh. was too life-changing. And one of them was Robotech. Yep. And the other one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Stuff. Now, I, I'm talking Teenage Mutant Turtles as the original Eastman and Laird version. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, sure. Really, really apocalyptic uh, you know, miscreant, almost the better way of doing mutants than Marvel does. Mm-hmm. We're talking uh, like these kind of odd fit, misshapen creatures, and they really did build like entire worlds out of this. The whole it was, was called like a- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. Yes, I believe so. I remember this book, man. This book was always at Heidi Ho Comics, and I would always stare at it and be like, Man, I want it. I want this world. It, it did that. It did that thing that you talk about with board games, where you see the box art and you yeah. kind of hear a little bit about it, and you want to play I it. Can't show it to you, but yeah. I own the Robotech game. Amazing. I never played it, it but it, I bought it and I read it and I loved it. I did a multi-year uh, campaign in that system, and it, again, it doesn't have that much room. Like, it really is actually a lockdown system that doesn't really want you to necessarily have all the progression, have all the changes. Like it breaks down at a certain point. It's just like on like some of these old video games, like Pac-Man, you get to a kill screen eventually where the game doesn't comprehend how to continue. Right. Brittle. Brittle. I think brittle would be the term, right? Brittle. Yeah, exactly. So this, these games had a lot of that. And yet at the same time, the ways that the DM would have to overcome the system was part of the charm of it. It was part of the way it actually is part as achieved on my list Mm -hmm. because there, there was enough meat on those bones to kind of continue. So that's awesome. I'll leave it there. That's awesome. Uh, my number three is Blades in the Dark by John Harper. It's a pretty book. If I had to say what is the what is the best game that occupies that middle space that is kind of story gamey but still is gamey enough in that old school kind of way, what's that, what's that perfect middle space? Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark uh, is sort of a powered by the Apocalypse game. So it has a little bit of Apocalypse World in terms of its design uh, fashion. Uh, if you guys remember Thieves World, uh, yeah. it feels a little bit like that. Uh, it is you play a thief, an assassin, a thug, or other underworld character just trying to survive on the mean streets of the city that is both in the 1870s and in a magical fantasy world. Basically, the gates of death were broken a hundred years ago. The world is in perpetual darkness, haunted by ghosts. And these cities have these electronic barriers, electric barriers around them because there are terrors out in the void, which is all a fancy way of saying you're thieves and robbers and and people who are up to no good. You're forming a gang. And if things go wrong, you can't run to another city. You can't get away, right? It, It is possible to travel to another city, but it's super, super hard. So pretty much you're stuck and trapped here and you have to deal with that. Um, Nice Judge Dredd vibe to that. It does. Yeah, it is Mega City 1 a little bit. I think that's a great, great, uh, a great Is this so all you need is that one book? Yep. 
All you need is the one book, and and it? it is it is design it is uh, designed Ooh, to be. Pre- oh, this is nice, high quality, very nice weight. To it, it is. It is. Prep- no, the book is important to me. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's prep light, so it's very easy for a GM to prep the the missions. Because, How many people do you need? Uh, you know, three to six. Okay, got it. You know, so, somewhere in a sweet spot. Most of these and sorry, did you say the dice? Are there dice? Yes. What, and sixes, tens, sixes, 20s, sixes. Got it. Sixes. Um, so in addition to creating a character. Like Apocalypse World, where if I choose Assassin, I'm going to be picking one from column A, one from column B, and one from column C. And here are my moves as, a, as an Assassin. These are the things that I can do. Oh, this might be the first one I'm buying. In addition, you are also going to choose a crew type yeah. for your group. So what are we all doing? Are we mercenaries? Are we spies? Are we assassins? So you got your squad. Are yeah. we a cult? You know, uh, following a lost god or something like that. Exactly. And whichever you choose, the game gives the gang attributes it gives the gang advantages it gives the gang opportunities and it even gives them a little map that is their turf like these are the two squares these are the two parts of the city that are yours and next to you is the guard tower and next to that is the rival gang and and it sort of gives you a little map to start off that's that's abstract but at the same time so so helpful Mm. um sounds dope i want i just see i just like reading these books even if i'll never play them yeah, when, I think when, I think this is a perfect game though to to do. You can do many one night kind of sessions. This would probably be really apt for what we were talking about. This right. game would be perfect. This is a great game to do as a one nighter session. And if people want to continue, you can totally continue because guess what? On each day, you are going to choose what the mission is. Here's the here's the fun thing. Yep. You say, okay, we're going to rob the armory. Fine, you're going to rob the armory. Fantastic. And the game is designed to say, go rob the armory. Wait, wait, wait. Don't I have to choose what, what, what gear I'm taking and check encumbrance tables and all that sort of stuff? Don't we have to make a plan? No, no, go, because watch what happens. You go, and the first place you get is the, you know, the, the guards are patrolling over there. Well, how are you going to get past them? The game has a flashback mechanic mm. where you say, I'm taking control now, and I'm going to flashback to last night when I bribed the wife of, of the guard that is, that is manning the tower right now to put you know sleeping drops in his in his stew or sure. whatever and then all of a sudden on cue he collapses and then they you get past that one and you move yeah, to yeah. the next one uh the other really cool thing about it it, ha- it has a heat mechanic where your gang as you do more things you're attracting unwanted attention yeah, of course uh it's the old uh, grand theft auto mechanic. yeah sure 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 yeah very much so five stars <laughs> wonderful game really fun plays fast plays loose and plays, I'm, plays gonna, great. I'm gonna read this book cool Alfred. My number three is Shadowrun. Mm, of course, classic. Absolutely classic. A once again kind of a, a futuristic not, elves. Futuristic. I mean, well, there was so much about this world that I would really recommend people dip dive into. It it, it is one of the one of my favorite spelled out um, original IPs yeah. that I've encountered. I really, really want to see this world iteratively all over the place. I want to see this exist partially because it is one of these few games that seems to to balance magic and cyberpunk in in ways that that generally it, it is a little bit like we talk about these asymmetrical games with asymmetrical powers in terms of board games this is that kind of that kind of role-playing game a little bit somebody's playing the magic game somebody's playing the hacking game somebody's playing the heavily decked out uh like cybernetic warrior kind of game right and you the DM has to be able to juggle all those different archetypes to make it a, a fruitful existence with everyone together. Unfortunately, there is sometimes sidebar kind of happenings, and that is the default of this game. But the world is so rad, 
and I could kind of go on and on to describe everything yeah. about it, but no, really... That theme is amazing. I think the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about it is that they tied the magic system into a resurgence of the first world nations, which I thought was really, really cool and progressive. It's like the, the Indians and the Aztecs and, and all these people, that they have a Native resurgence Americans. and they're coming back. Yes, exactly. Well, and, exactly. And, and then they moved a lot of the normie humanity to Seattle, which is kind of hilarious, or that kind of area. Yep. And... Uh, amongst them, these demi-humans start to exist, and there's a lot of racial tension between the demi-humans and humans of different times, and, and between the demi-humans themselves. It, it is a, an enormously interesting sandbox to be playing in. The game system itself, I kind of wish it was different. A D20? It is what actually we, D6s, we, and you have pools of dice to, to kind of... Mm. So you can, you can choose to use the pool at different times. Right. There's also points you can do to, to add dice at certain heroic moments or, or often. Right. And then there's a lot of things with equipment that's interesting. Uh, again, it's story forward on this one, and I wouldn't mind seeing people just play out talking through this kind of world more. And there's plenty yeah. of books and stuff if you want right. to do that kind of thing, but it is really fun space to be moving in. Actually, yeah, it feels yeah. like it's got a crossover with Warhammer a little bit and the fact that you have orcs with cybernetics and things like that. I mean... I mean I think there was just a lot of that going around in the 80s and 90s, sure. right? There was a lot of people who wanted to see this kind of crossing of worlds. Yeah, it's through. like a Neuromancer, Lord of the Rings. That, that's completely the way to describe Shadowrun. Yeah. The only thing I would say is just add corporations to it. Add this kind of... Well, that's Neuromancers. It's all about corporations. Yeah, I guess I always think of Neuromancers being like... A, Jinteki, all that. Yeah, I, I guess absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, Osaka. Yeah, uh, Ono Sendai Seven Sight. Wow, you really have a neuromancer. I'm, I'm wearing a neuromancer You're t-shirt. Neuromancer one of my t-shirt. very first songs I ever I had wrote. An ono Sendai Seven. Was, well, yeah, one of my very first songs I ever wrote was supposed to be called Ono Sendai. Really, in homage to that. Um, but then I got, I learned better, and I called it a mash note yeah. instead. It's my first release song ever. And look, I'm wearing my Whale and Yutani naming of Evil Corporation. We're both wearing Evil Corporation, which, which is the first time in in a year yeah. that you have worn that shirt on yeah. the day when I did. We not. both own Whale and Yutani shirts, which is from Alien. That's amazing. Yeah. That is incredible. Um, you guys coordinated? You guys called each other? We're just sci-fi nerds. Yeah, perfect. All right, Tom. Total dorks. Number two. Number two, almost there. Uh, this is a combination. This is Fiasco and Protocol because they're very similar games. Fiasco is done by Jason Morningstar, and Protocol is by the inestimable What is? I get Jim Fiasco Pinto. mixed up with Fate. What, what is the difference in these things? They seem to be both very popular and, and slightly casual. Okay, so Fiasco is very, very casual. Um, what... Fiasco is you're telling a Coen Brothers type story, a caper along the lines of Blood Simple, Fargo, yep. a simple plan. At least that's how it started. The fact is people have made so many different play sets for this game that, that you can play it in almost any genre, almost any style. Are you rolling dice? Yes, but okay. you're only rolling the dice once. You're rolling them at the beginning of the game, and then you're going into the play set, and the play set has relationships, and it has 36 choices for relationships. Right. It has uh, needs, 36 choices for needs. It has locations, 36 choices for that and objects. Right. And and each playset has a different list of those objects that are and needs and all that sort of stuff that are very indicative. And and, you know, there's there's story hooks. They're all story hooks Mm -hmm. that get you into a story. Uh, You roll all the dice. And people are going to pick a pick a die or pick two dice, and they're going to pick, for instance, for they're going to pick knee, a die for the need and a second die for the specific need, right? So the so the need is to get out, 
and then the specific need is this the, the to to get out of the the horrible contract I signed twenty years ago, right, right. or something along, or something along those lines. Um, when you choose a relationship, you're going to write that down on a card, and you're going to put it between yourself and another player, or between two other players. That's now the relationship between those two characters. Strangely enough, the last thing you do is figure out exactly what your character is. Right. First, you figure out all the relationships and all the needs, and then from that, it's like, oh, interesting. So one of us is a bounty hunter, and one of us is the guy on the run. That's interesting. Mm. And my need is to get out of Dodge. I guess I'm probably the guy on the run. Or is it more interesting for me to be the bounty hunter that wants to get out of Dodge? Maybe that's interesting. And, and you have this little conversation as you're putting together the basic pieces of cool. the story. As the game goes on, you're going to be uh, choosing to start scenes or to resolve scenes. This is a one-night thing. It is. It's totally okay. one-night thing. It's two to three hours. That's all. It, that's, is this what we should do? That's all it takes. I, I think it's a very good first choice. I will just say, let me just talk about Protocol for yep. a second. Protocol may even be better. Fiasco is tremendously popular. Protocol is largely unknown. Uh, what Are protocol, they the same system or something? They're very, very similar. The difference is, they're both, is that... They're both your number two. You're, you're combining correct. them. Okay. Correct. Protocol is, uses a deck of cards instead of dice. Um, and you're going to draw two, and those two are going to be a very similar thing, right? Here's your relationship between you and this character and this character and so on and so forth. Uh, the difference is, is that in Protocol, it gives you a little bit more uh, meat on the bones in terms of what you're doing. You're going to draw these cards, and they're going to tell you whether or not your scene is going to be a vignette, which is basically just descriptive, and interrogation, where one character has to answer five questions, which is re- does a great job of really throwing that story into, into high gear. Uh, interludes, which are one-on-one scenes, and ensembles, where the whole cast is interacting. And it's just, for some people, they have a hard time interacting with, uh, with Fiasco because it's so freewheeling and mm-hmm. it can do so many different things. This uh, fias- uh, um, protocol does a great job of giving you just a little more guidance uh, and a little more prompts, a little more suggestions as to what. So this these are available at postworldgames.com for protocol, not on yes. Amazon. Yeah, and they're only three dollars each. That's a steal. There are, and there are, and each one of these, Fiasco and Protocol, both have like fifty different playsets that you can download that are that have you know that will be scratching the particular itch yeah, that you want to play. Whatever theme you want, they all play in one night. They all play pretty quick, and I highly, highly recommend. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Cool. My number two is Mage the Ascension. There is a number of different games that use the same system. There is Vampire the Masquerade. There is Werewolf the... Uh, Awakening? The Awakening, that sounds right. Is it? There is Changeling the Silly. And And what is the system? Wraith the Oblivion. Wraith the Oblivion, thank you. So this is one of the few games that I have DM'd somewhat oh, extensively. Oh, it's Hunter the Awakening. I forget what the, the oh, one is. But there's it, a Hunter system? It, there's a Hunter system as well. Goodness. Anyway, so, continue. Sorry, what's the system called again? Uh, this is Mage the Ascension is the game, and it's the storyteller system. It's a okay. D10 system. And it is um, what it lacks in some, of the, in some of the system requirements. Now, it isn't the kind of game that you're going to play open sandbox style. It's like not the kind of system that's ready to be skinned for any of your machinations. It is really designed and the world is really fleshed out for the specific factional idea behind each. So in the vampire game, there is multiple factions of vampires all vying for control of the human cattle, so to speak. In, uh, and you are playing vampires in that game. You are definitely not, yep. not playing vampires, but you are never uh, as good as the... Uh, I'm a super good Tremere. 
you're never good as the Methulas. They're, they're Methuselahs. Methuselahs, yeah. Yeah, there is, there is grand creatures in all these games that are overarching and powerful that the DMs are kind of controlling the machinations of that you'll never understand as a player character. And they are extremely just fun worlds to both DM and to play. They're very built out and they're very kind of balanced in the way that they are, even though there's a lot of different aspects and way to play in Mage, the Ascension, the game that I particularly enjoy. There's all different kinds of realms of magical um, ways that that kind of shows up. Some of them are like people who have made themselves superhuman. Other ones are uh, creatures that are are you know working on like mysticism and like practical magics and all these different things. So anyways, there's all these kind of player characters and you're playing against what is effectively um, moles and sleepers in our normal society. So there's ways of looking at the entire world through the lens of any of this kind of magic. So every event that's happened in the world is not some random explosion or earthquake. It's actually a magical battle that's happened right. somewhere and it's just all under cover of darkness and people are un- unaware, unknowing, and unassuming. This seems like it is out of print at this point. Mage is actually still in print. They've is been it? making okay. that again. All right. uh, and I, an I'm Amazon pretty sure Vampire thing. is such a popular IP that that, well, that is, is yeah, vamp- I've seen that. Yeah. The storyteller system is is a beautifully put together, elegant, you know, oh, yeah, that or, is or, all over. ornate yeah. Baroque system of uh, a really, it, it does a wonderful, wonderful job of getting people heavily invested in story. Yeah, and, and as a character, the advancement is, is, is significant. It's a little bit more like item boxes you tick off. It's a little bit prescribed, but it is a, it is a really fun space to be in. And it's a nice way of looking at the world through that lens. So, th- just so, so there's Mage, The Ascension. There's Vampire, The Masquerade. There's, 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 there's a couple versions of Vampire. Masquerade was the first version, yeah. and then it became the Vampire, the... I can't remember the next one. Okay. With a lot of this stuff, the it, it, like I'm just for people who want to look way, up an, different versions of another it. A, another gaming company that I was trying to to make a movie with. Got it. The IP is really strong. The worldview is really fun. There's a lot of different stories to be told. Intimate stories, big general, fractional, Hunter, factional the stories. Reckoning. Yep, that's there too. Yeah, oh, there are a, a lot of uh, vampire LARPs are one of the more popular sure. LARP types. Yeah, I like feel vampires. like it's one of the first ones that really seemed to catch popular attention. Was 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 vampire ones because it of the- did. Trey and I at some point will will discuss the what happened to that and why we're not we're not crazy about them. Yeah. Um, but in theory, they should be incredible, and the, the system itself. Is is absolutely wonderful. So, well, guys, and mages particularly. We are entering mages. into Lord of the Rings extended edition territory of let's, time length here, yeah, and my butt hurts. Yeah, but I am this. excited to hear your number ones. If you have made it this long in the podcast, sorry guys. First of all, your phone uh, memory is probably full. I apologize <laughs> for the giant file you've downloaded. Uh, but I, this was fascinating for me. I, I, I know nothing about this world. This is all new to me, and I'm very excited to hear both of your number one RPGs. And then I want to stand up and get blood flowing to my tuchus. Do this quick. I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna have time for a Somalia or anything like that. No, no, no. Right. We're yeah, out of here. Okay, okay, okay. My number one game is uh, another game by Vincent Baker, uh, the, oh. guy, the guy who did uh, Apocalypse World. Amazing. Which, it, by the way, we, when you were DMing it, sorry, GMing it, we called it Apocatom. <laughs> which is apt or Tom Pocalypse. We had a wild time trying to decide which one we liked better. We landed on Apocatom. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Vincent Baker game. Uh, Cannot be found. Oh, wait. I know the name of it. It's the um, Dogs in the Prairie. Dogs in the Vineyard. Dogs Very in the good. Vineyard. Very good. Yeah, I know stuff. I know stuff. Um, it's, it's the, it, it is the second. The two most influential games in my lifetime were Traveler, uh, which was in 1977. So like the third or fourth game ever made. And Dogs in the Vineyard. Dogs in the Vineyard was the game that, that told me that this new crop of games was going to be amazing. Uh the idea is, is this. You are playing 
God's Watchdogs in the Deseret Territory what does that mean, of God's the Old West. Watchdogs. I'm, I'm going to tell oh, okay, you. Okay. You are Mormons in Mormon country okay. in the Old West, in, in, in a West that never was, but is kind of like the West that was. You're um, literally Mormons? Yes. Okay. You, but no, but you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the badass Mormons. You are the Mormons that are delivering the mail. Is Vincent Baker a Mormon? I don't know. He okay. might be. Is this like a okay? All right, I'm just, just trying. To, I'm just trying to catch up. Just wait and listen. Just wait and listen. Okay, you are the you are the Mormons that travel in a small group through dangerous territory to deliver mail, to preach, and to keep the law in these outposts, these little towns of the faithful that exist in the middle of nowhere. Okay, and the problem is, is that each town you come to, there's something wrong. Right, you have to figure out what the problem is. You have to exercise the demonic. The idea is is that whenever you're not faithful, the, the, you let the demonic creep in, and in some way, bad things are going to start happening. Right, and you have to restore the faith. The problem in the towns uh, can be tremendously varied. Right, but they always follow. It, it has a spiritual doctrine to it, which is said: pride starts first. Pride manifests as injustice, which leads to sin, which manifests as demons attacking in the form of famine or plagues or outlaws. That leads to false doctrine, which corrupts the religion, which leads to a false priesthood where the demons start to get access to people, right? Which eventually leads to hate and murder. Uh, it, it's, it's this fascinating, evocative uh, way of, of looking at things. And, and the most interesting thing about it is that these people that you're investigating and fighting and even killing... They're your flock. You love these people. These are cousins. These are dear friends. These are loved ones, which is to say, Dogs in the Vineyard has stakes. And when you add to those stakes a brutal uh, conflict resolution system, you have a game that's an undeniable masterpiece. Okay? So... Here's the way it works. Completely worked. unavailable. Sadly. If you want a copy, they'll sell you on Amazon for $5,001 is what the cost, the cost for a used version of this is. Who is that? Do you, do you have a copy, Tom? Yes. Sell it for 5002 well, I mean, or just photocopy it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, let I, me read it. I'll make, it, I'll make, I'll make a... Uh, a you a, can't a, even get a PDF of this thing. I'll make a private PDF of it and send it to you. Okay. All right. Um, let me just tell you about the resolution system really quick. The way it works is uh, I'm arguing with you, Eli. Eli, you have hate in your heart. You're going to go kill the shopkeeper's wife because of the thing that's happening, right? I I argue with you. You're going to roll a certain number of dice. I'm going to roll a certain number of dice. And you're going to take however many dice it takes to equal the number seven. And you're going to push them forward. And that's your bet. I'm going to push together... Uh, uh, dice equaling seven, and that's going to be so it's calling. my will versus your will. That, exactly. Right. That's me calling your bet. And then I can raise you by pushing more of my mm-hmm. dice. And we keep going back and forth until somebody can't raise anymore. That's a fun system, yeah. And you are either going to lose at that point, in which case you suffer fallout. Now, fallout for a verbal argument, no big deal. But it's still there, right? But what if Eli doesn't want to stop? Eli, it, Eli. <laughs> Eli pulls out a knife. Oh, Eli. Here we go again. Right? Classic now Eli. all of a sudden he's rolling a whole new set of dice because he's using a different attribute and because he's using a weapon. And now all of a sudden these are D8s instead of D6s. Right? Well, it's gone up. And then somebody else pulls a gun. All of a sudden it's D10s. And whoever loses this is going to have 
fallout that could kill you. So apparently there's a re- I, I, I can't say this is for a fact because it's not from the author himself, but uh, according to uh, RPG.net on the forums there, Vincent Baker decided he no longer wanted to sell it, which is why it is no longer available even in PDF form, because he was unhappy with the Western genre and its moral implications. So he stopped making it available a couple months ago, literally a couple months ago. This was written in February. So it was just in the last few months that he's pulled all copies everywhere and made it impossible to find. Hmm. The I, author. All I can say is, is that every time I played this game, I've only played it about four times. One session, one session bits. Every time I have, uh, I have had stories that have been jaw-dropping in the way they hit me in the gut, in the way they, in the way they made me, uh, they made me hurt. They made me hurt because I wanted to help these people. And in order to help these people, I had to be harder than I wanted to be. I had to make really, really tough choices that, that felt amazing. This is like religion, the role playing. If you want to hear somebody (laughs) playing this game, uh, the one shot podcast episode 187 has an episode where they do dogs in the vineyard Mm -hmm. and you can hear podcasters doing a whole session of this game. This it's, could be an interesting one to, to also put on our list as well. Maybe it's the yeah. most elegant RPG I've ever I've ever played, and I, I I highly recommend that if you can ever find a way to get a copy of it, get a copy of it. I mean, it seems like even beyond just doing it a one shot for a night, this could be even cool just to do one shot as like one conflict, just to like play out the mm-hmm. one yeah little you know like what what happens, what is in your machinations, how do you describe, play out, and resolve. It's interesting. Darn you, rules lawyer. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's uh, just uh, the story's fascinating to me. So this person wrote, I sat down with Vincent yesterday at PAX East. This was written a month ago. He mentioned that Dogs in the Vineyard wasn't viable for him given many lies that have spread about life in Utah in the period of the Old West. To be clear, I didn't push for clarification. Time was short. I did get him to agree to a 15-minute live stream into, uh, into my design class. And we really did this. So I don't know. It seems like he, um, he's not feeling it anymore. But it, it seems like maybe it has something to do with the theme, which is interesting. You know, it doesn't necessarily disqualify it. It just makes it even more layered than it's cool you have a copy. He said, Westerns can go to hell. This is a, Vincent said this in another third. Westerns can go to hell. Utah history can go to hell. And unless I can extricate dogs from that, it can go to hell too. <laughs> wow. This makes it even more interesting. Wow. I want to play this game now. This Vin- Vincent sounds like a fascinating character. Dude, very strong he is, opinions. He is amazing. I have, I have pretty much every game he's ever designed. I could, have, I could do a top 10 list just of his games. Yeah. They're, they're he all has a dog's called Sa- Killing Puppies for Satan. Yep. Okay, just making sure. He does. <laughs> that is a fact. All right, Alfred, what is your number one RPG of all time? Hello to the two people still here. <laughs> Thank you so much for staying tuned in. Thank you so much to, uh, to you for sitting through all this. Yes. Maddie, and my number one game of all time is Amber Diceless Roleplaying, hearkening back to much. Sorry, say Amber? Amber Diceless Roleplaying. That's the name of it. That's the name of it. I and could not... I could not more highly recommend what Alfred is about to okay. talk about. All right, hit me. I, I just it, it harkens back to a lot of the list. It's a little bit more mainstream version of a lot of the list that, that Tom has been talking about today. Is this is a well known thing. Well, it just it is a it is not super well known, but it is a diceless role playing system that that does still exist. Oh, set in the Chronicles of Ambers. Exactly. Well, okay. Roger Salazar. Yeah. Is made this an amazing world, and then this incredible game system to deal with an incredibly overpowered world. When you have a world of gods and superheroes and and demons and all this this uppercase letter. 
existence of mythology, how do you really put that down to dice? Well, you don't. You have a system of description. You have stats that help lead the description, uh, lead the discretion and ideas of both the players and the uh, and the the DM. And the game sessions I've had of this, are, the reason why this is my number one is because this is the most resounding yes I have felt in a game where somebody, because of a well done description, is able to achieve an impossible task. The whole game group is cheering for that person. Yeah. The whole game group is is yelling on for both the DM to come up with a response, but also just that the inventiveness of the storytelling and the heightening of the action. Now, sure, there's like enough of a world that Roger Zelazny has painted that you could conceivably run into some roadblocks just not knowing the intimacy of what shadow is and what these kind of different aspects of Amber are. But really, in many ways, that a lot of that can fall away and you can have intimate, amazing... Um, repercussive but still very role-playing activities where it isn't just group storytelling which is beautiful and i really enjoy that aspect but the fact that you are achieving something based on a stat that's outside of yourself you can go to a place that is that is heightened by your character and really achieve a beautiful elegant story um resolution rather yeah. than just just storyline so it's the number one on my list for that reason. This is not, doesn't seem to be in print, although you can get a PDF on DriveThruRPG for $13, which Great. seems like a fair price. Yeah. I mean, super-powered beyond the dreams of Superman, all of these characters. You've played this, Tom? Yes, I have. I've, I've, I've played it a couple times. It's, it's incredible. When you're creating a character, you have all these points to spend in these different categories, and you're basically bidding against everybody else totally. because how many points you have doesn't really matter. It just matters, do I have one more point than you do? If you do, I'm higher rank, and higher rank in general does... Is you're automatically going to achieve more, but if you describe it better, then the DM gives you a little advantage... And it may be enough to overcome that one point difference. Exactly, exactly. So, in terms of what we've been talking about from from Fall of Magic, which you guys were like, you were like, what's the game? Mm -hmm. Amber is the same thing. There's no dice rolled. It's it's all in the interplay of. Is this of a one night vibe? No, this is actually really suited as a campaign. This is okay. really suited as having. It's it's a little bit more like what I was talking about with Mage Ascension, where there's like plans within plans. The DM has a lot of opportunity to to make really intense story. It could be a one-night thing, but I think it would lack something. I think it really, you have to inhabit the character in a certain way that only multiple sessions will really get you. It's not really an advancement type of game. It isn't really like an item box, check off the next thing. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, if you achieve an extra rank or something, it's really hard earned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really much more about you build out the world in a way that maybe your actions actually do play a role, but the DM is really in control of something that is wilder than your possible imagination. So. Now, do you play this, um, a lot of people play this uh, set after the death of Oberon, in exactly. which case the other family members were all fighting uh, to become the most powerful, mm -hmm. that, that is, the new head of the family. Yeah, that is, that is not the, the Game of Thrones Oberon. Well, but here's the interesting thing is, is, that, is that unlike a lot of these games, when it's us against the system... In Amber, it's kind of player versus player. It's court machinations, yes. potentially. And also, people play evil very much better in this game than a lot of other systems. People can play deceptive, can play evil. You're not really necessarily all gaming for the same ends. A lot of these games do have this kind of preconceived idea that you have to have a morality system. And this game kind of throws it out the window because it is group storytelling in a way that you know you kind of want the villain to win sometimes. You kind of want, just as you can be that, you can flex that in a way that other games don't really respond to. Okay. Wonderful. 
Uh, this, sorry, uh, one last thing before we go. This is directly from Vincent on a board, or at least somebody claiming to be Vincent. So that quote I gave, uh, it can go to hell too. At the end of that, he said, I have half a plan for a new edition and half a plan for a sequel. I think the sequel is more likely at this point, but neither are underway. That was written in April. Oh, oh nice. Awesome. Thanks for doing the deep dive awesome. hey, on the on the research but let's there. Just, let's just let's just, let's just end this. Let's just this is Alfred's segment, and let's end by saying that if you can you can find Amber Dice thirteen dollars on the yeah. drive through RPG. It is truly. I would like to try it. it let me put. Let's it, try let it. me put. It, here's Absolutely. here's how here's how I can put it in, in terms. It is the Lisboa of role playing games. <laughs> nice. Okay. It, it, it well it, makes sense because Alfred's favorite game is the Galaris. I think in in many ways, the way I would sum up this whole segment, for me at least, is that I I come from a background where these were a lot of squishy games and I found a lot of myself playing in a squishy space. Now, I I have gone from a a wanting total freedom in my game space to wanting a lot of sense of of kind of like these board game kind of style interactions where there is a clear winner and loser at the end of a night yep. where, and I don't have to be the winner of that. I just like the neat and tidiness of it. But I remember sure, as a sure. kid wanting to flex, wanting to explore my own kind of agency, my own amount of like control and, and ideas about who I wanted to be. And these games were a perfect opportunity to do that. And to, to kind of revisit that as an older, as an older person who has like definitely board game influence, I would, I would really be impassioned to, to do that now, especially with my, current game brain fascination yeah, absolutely and story and system equals fun story and system equals uppercase fun totally and board games have a bit of that but there's a lot of things to be learned from our rpg space well look we tried we attempted to tackle an entire genre in yeah. one episode we are a board game podcast but this was our chance to look at a different side of tabletop gameplay uh, a side I know very little about, and I feel like we've given you 20 interesting titles. My goal here, I think um, what I would like to do is to list uh, in, a, in timeline un, in our notes uh, exactly all the things we have said and try to so people can uh, jump through and find the ones they want to. And because I think a lot of people are going to see this as a, as a very useful resource of where to get some interesting new non D&D RPGs, some old, some new, some indie, yeah. some mainstream Exactly. Well, thank you guys so much for all the work you put into this. I feel like I learned a lot. Hopefully people listening did. And, and also let us know if you are genuinely interested in hearing some one-off episodes, um, probably shorter than this one, in which we do some RPGs. Uh, and give you some bone that could be a great uh, you know, extra turn in, in future rounds. Let us know if that sounds interesting to you, please. Uh, Tom, thank you. Thank you, and Thanks thank for you, Alfred, for inviting thank me. Thank you, to Alfred. For, I'm glad you both are here, or else uh, I would have had nothing to say. Um, join us on our Facebook group. Go to um, actually, you can just go to facebook.com/backslash/gamebrainpod, and you will find our group there. Uh, join us up. We have a lot of people there. We're having a lot of fun. And um, tell us everything that you think we're doing right and wrong, and we would love to hear from you. Maybe we can answer a, a game sommelier on the Facebook group. This no, just week or something. next week. I'll yeah. just hit some more. Okay. Um, next week we'll be back with a deep dive on Southern Catan with Jesse, the analytical gamer, and uh, a top local uh, Catan tournament <laughs> player. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. Hey. You know him as Alfred on our show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com, uh, and that's where you can also find all of his. Social you can reach me at email at matthew at gamebrainpod.com or on Twitter at gamebrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. Thanks, y'all.